Oh, there's no theme tonight? Okay. <laughs> well, All right. Well, gosh. Actually, hi, hi, kids. That was the mime theme that played. We just didn't have the visuals that, for it. It was a highly expensive mime theme. <laughs> The Mime Orchestra. So we're in your head play Steve and Johnny, Johnny, Johnny and Steve. There we go. See? Doing it in your head and it works. It's a highly professional operation. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten into the first five minutes yet. And look how we're trashing the place. Actually, I'm going to blame it on the weather. Did I hear you right, Ron Brown? Possibly snow on Sunday morning. And grapple? Yowza. And unbelievable. So technically, you all need to know what season you're in. This is the third winter. Because we've already lived through full spring. Yeah. The second winter... The Spring of Deception, which was lovely. We left Chicago during the Spring of Deception, Mm -hmm. and now you're into the third winter. And if you're lucky, we'll be slipping soon into mud season and then the real spring. Although this past Thursday was crazy down here. And and by the way, for those of you who don't know, uh, we are uh, taking you on the road with us. Uh, We're coming to you tonight from the studios of WKGC-FM, high atop the Charles Hilton Center for Advanced Technology and Hospitality Management (laughs) at Gulf Coast State College in Panama City, Florida. (laughs) Woo-hoo! Like that? Yes. But this past Thursday, you probably saw it. It was uh, headline stories on most of the major national newscasts. It was horrible weather down here it was a frightening day i mean it we've was, been here for storms but that was a scary day because this, this went on and on and on and on yeah. it went on throughout the whole day initially we had heard reports of 76 mile an hour winds and then i just heard something yesterday where apparently they've amended that no it was over 100 mile an hour winds tornadoes yes uh hail and sadly there was a lightning strike on the Panama City Beach Pier. A uh, an opera singer from Naperville yes, how, was struck by lightning. The only injury was uh, Joshua Weaker, mm-hmm. 33 years old. He was here on vacation in Panama City Beach with his wife and his family. And he and his, I guess it was his brother and his dad, were out fishing on the pier when everybody had to be pulled in from the pier now we don't have sirens that blast down here to tell you that there is a tornado coming and this was a full-blown warning your phone just goes crazy so they had wrapped up everything they're coming in they were like 20 feet away from safety when behind them there was a lightning strike and they kind of hunkered down and within 10 seconds some there was another lightning strike and and it hit joshua and his brother and his father did cpr on him and kept him alive i thought there was a bystander too who who jumped in everybody that that saw it decided well it looked like he was dead and uh, quick action on their part they were able to keep him alive he got to the hospital and today his wife reported that he is awake and he's got a long way to go she told him what happened to him and he said quote wow struck by lightning that's really badass So he kind of so going to put that on his resume. Okay, he, he kind of has a sense of humor, I guess, but he does have a long way to go. But how odd! Out of all the people in this area, and yes, we've got a lot of tourists. 
when we heard the guy was from Naperville, we said, oh, my gosh, maybe we know this guy. We've never seen him perform. His wife is also right. an opera singer. But so, he, he's a world-famous opera singer. Yeah, yeah. So he our good thoughts go out to him uh, right here in Panama City at the hospital. We have a bunch of things. Boy, have we got a full show tonight. Uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going to introduce you to our friend Michael Lister. Yeah. New York Times and USA Today bestselling and award-winning novelist. Uh, he has a brand-new book out that I'm slowly savoring. That, that's one of the problems I have with Michael's books. I have to force myself to read them slowly. slowly. Then a little later, Tommy Emanuel. Yeah. Yes, Tommy Emanuel, uh, who was on the Grand Ole Opry last night, mm-hmm. who has a brand-new album that was just released on Friday. He's going to be joining us. A little later, we're going to talk cars with the uh, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, Tom Appel. Then a name you know from... A little ways down the dial, Don Perlman will be joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newsman, Don Perlman, who is also a numismatist. Mm-hmm. Easy for me to say. <laughs> We're going to be talking about coins. Uh, last week was Coin Week, and there's this big coin convention going on in Schomburg, and he's considered one of the most influential people yeah. in the world of n- numismatics. And we've wanted to talk to him forever. And this yes. was, a, I believe, didn't he send you um, a message saying the last time he was on WGN was with Wally Phillips back when uh, he wrote, he, Don, wrote a book about getting into broadcasting. Yes, 1986. Then also a little later, Lisa McClowry will be joining us, extraordinary vocalist, and uh, she is the one who's been doing for the past several years the Beat Goes On tour where she impersonates Cher yes. and... I'm not a big fan of impersonators of anybody, but oh boy, does mm-hmm. Lisa nail Cher. She sure does. And she's going to be performing locally, so we want to tell you in case you want to get out to see her in, at the uh, Genesee Theater in Waukegan next week. A quick shout out. Chuck is listening to us in Hobart, Indiana, and Patrice is in Highland. we got a lot of people listening tonight in Wisconsin. That's Gene Jacobson and Helen Thomas and Jane Stevenson. And Bobby Danos is listening in Sandwich, Illinois. And Stuart, hey, he's in Sun City, Arizona, listening to us. Our top fans are Ron and... Um, Oh, let's see. We've got Delphine is listening in Chicago. Our buddy Linda Johnson is tuned in locally. Sandy Marlisa is listening in tonight. Uh, Also, Charlene. Sandy, who will be joining us next week. Yes. Sandy is half of the Jack and Jen extraordinary team. Uh, and they're going to be in studio performing live with us next week. That's right. And I do want to say a shout-out to Charlene Childers, who's listening tonight, because she is Michael Lister's biggest fan. So she said, I think I can work this out, and I can listen. And I said, you can do it. Absolutely. So thank you all for tuning in tonight. And you can uh, text us or call us at 312-981-7200. And we got a whole lot of stuff coming up tonight, so stay with us at WGN. It was a dark and stormy night. I, I have want, nowhere to go with that. It yeah. just seemed like I. Yeah, I don't want another one of those dark and stormy <laughs> no. nights. Okay, have enough of that. Steve King and Johnny Putman of WGN Radio, and it's a pleasure to welcome uh, back into the studio a, a dear friend uh, who. He doesn't know how much of my life he occupies, (laughs) because every time Michael Lister comes out with a new book, I'm just glued to it. Yep, he's got a brand new one. And uh, for those of you uh, new to the class, Michael Lister is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling and award-winning novelist. He is a native Floridian, 
and uh, he has a new book that just came out this past month. It's called Dead of Night. It's one of his uh, Birkin Blade mystery series Right. Books. He gave us the John Jordan series. He gave us the Jimmy Riley noir 1940s series. And if we don't hush up, we're going to run out of time. So hi, Michael. <laughs> hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So nice happy to be to ha- here tonight. Nice to have you in here. And we had a little respite in the rain so we could all sneak over to the college to get here in the studio tonight. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much. And what number is this for you? Well, it's the fifth in that series, and mm-hmm. that's the only number I can give you that I can be certain about. Okay. I have over 40 novels, but I'm not sure how much over 40 Unbelievable. Are so. I'm and you just celebrated, what, uh, 25 years of the John Jordan series? Yes. Yep, 25 years. Yeah. Quarter of a wow. century of John Jordan. Wow. Now, you became a, quote, professional novelist, what, uh, well, over 25 years ago. 1997 was when uh, Power in the Blood was published. Mm-hmm. So, Do you have like um, a portrait in your attic? Because the things that you've done, you should be a very old man by now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do, actually. I, you, I do have one you were a chaplain for many years. You taught high school. You taught college. You had a bookstore. You had a theater group. Unbelievable resume. And then all of these books that you churn out. At such a rapid pace, it just blows my mind. Well, I've heard that I'm going to uh, die at some point, that we all are, so I'm trying to fit in as much are as you? possible you know, <laughs> before my time is up. That's breaking news, folks. Guess what? <laughs> We're all terminally ill. I was thinking about you earlier this week, and this had nothing to do with the book, although maybe a little bit. Thursday, when the weather was so horrible, for a second, along with lightning flashes, my brain flashed on, I wonder if Michael is hunkering down or if he is taking the storm and if that's giving him ideas for a new book or a new section of a book. So which was it? I was out in the storm, and uh, I was getting some ideas, some inspiration. Uh, Not as directly as the gentleman you mentioned, the opera singer. It wasn't quite that direct, Mm -hmm. but uh, definitely getting some inspiration during the storm. So do you have a set time that you write every day, like a 9-to-5 job, but in your case you write from... You know, fill in the blanks. Yes. So from when I wake up, and whatever that is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no alarm, just, just when I roll out of bed. And those morning pages are the best, really, any time after you sleep. So even if I, in the afternoon, take a nap, those that twilight in between really? sleep and wake. Why? Um, because your subconscious is what's doing the work, you know. And so if you if you ha- if I have a problem, like I write myself into a corner or I'm not sure what's going to happen next, or I have a question about the characters or the plot or whatever it is, if I'll go to sleep thinking about it, I usually wake up with the answer. And that's that's what our subconscious does. That's pretty it's cool. So so if you start writing when you wake up, you're not so awake that your conscious is saying, no, you can't do that. Your subconscious is saying, let's try this. You're still tapped happens. into it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, there's cool. less of a barrier. You know, the, the veil is thinner, I guess. Yeah. And then do you it's say, mysterious. I'm going to write for X number of hours or just go with the flow? It's usually um, a scene or two. I think of it in terms of scenes. And mm-hmm. this, a scene is usually a chapter, but not necessarily um, and I, I write as many of those as I can before I need to break and do other things, mm-hmm. like lunch or grandkids or whatever it is. So. Yeah. 
Well, we had a, um, a wonderful Chicago uh, author on last week, Jamie Frevoletti. In oh, fact, yeah. I think yeah. you know Jamie. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we, we were talking about, because she's done the Robert Ludlum series, mm-hmm. as well as her own crime series. And it was fascinating to find out from her, at what point do you you say, that's it, I, I, I've got to stop. It's it's actually best to stop before you finish a scene or even a sentence. You know, if you leave it open so that when you come back, you can pick right oh. back up there. Now, I don't always do that. A lot of times I'll get to the end of a scene. But if I, if I finish a scene and can actually start the next one, even a sentence or a word or two. Okay. Then again... You're letting your subconscious start to prepare the material, and when you sit back down, it'll be there. My subconscious is not that interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, come on. Give me something. I you challenge <laughs> you to keep a dream journal, That's, and you'll see just how yeah. interesting your subconscious is. Now, wait a moment, Mike. You think you've been scared? <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, I took a little nap this afternoon because we'll be here till 2 o'clock in the morning. And when I woke up, because, and this surprised me. Uh, when I woke up, I was singing the song Three Coins in a Fountain. And I wow. thought, well, why was I doing that? Then I realized our guest at midnight is going to be the numismatist. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool, mind. You went there. And I was thinking Absolutely. about the movie from 1954 and all of that, but I didn't consciously do that. So can I get you to say that word again? And can you tell me what it means? I've never heard that word before. A numismatist uh, has to do with coins. It comes from the Latin for coin. I think the Latin word is numisma. It's nice. a coin collector. Coin collector. Nice. And if, if you're into coin collecting, that's numismatics. Well, if I write long enough, I'm going to put that in a book. Are you? I'm going to have a character <laughs> that is, I'm not even going to attempt to say the word, but... but. He's, he's a numismatist. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to give away anything, but in one of the early chapters of your new book, Dead of Night, you do something you just talked about. I believe it's at the end of the second chapter, where after uh, Burke and Blade have, have gone through some things, all of a sudden, someone enters and says something that kind of sets up the next chapter. Mm. And uh, I always like that because it's like, okay, I I can, I'm going to pause this now. That's why you savor it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely do. But I like that. Similarly, what I was saying, like, it's best to not stop on a downbeat when you're writing. Also, in a chapter, it's best if you can hook the reader into the next chapter. So Mm -hmm. if you, you... I think naturally you want to you sort of start up and then go down and finish on that downbeat. But if you can, if you wrap up the scene and then start something else before you know hook the reader into the next chapter, um, I think that works really well. What I attempt to do also though is at the end of the book, you know, each is a standalone mystery. Mm-hmm. So these it's a series, and these characters are going through the entire series. And if you start at the beginning, then you see their arc and you get to know them personally and see mm-hmm. what they're going with in their personal lives but each book is a standalone mystery but when that mystery is solved i try to put something that indicates what is going to be the next mystery in mm-hmm. the next book and when you get to the end of this one you'll see also this is the fifth in the series and it actually wraps up several storylines that started in book one book two book three they've been i've They've been they've been a thread running through all the books, mm-hmm. and now they're coming to a close, and I'm setting up new ones for the next five. You also do something that not a lot of authors can do. You make us care about these people. 
Mm, Whether you. it is John Jordan and his family and friends or Burke and Blade and their family and friends. A- after the first book, the, the, in both you know cases, them. I was hooked and I wanted to know more about mm. these people. How did you develop that ability? I mean, it's one thing to say... Uh, Tom Hoots is going to go and solve this crime and find out that uh, Caleb Jordan uh, uh, stole the stuff. It's another thing to make you want to care about who Tom Hoots is and why did Caleb Jordan do this. How did you well, do that? I, I care very deeply about Tom Hoots and who he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, though, that is the key. If, if the writer cares, if you really care about your characters, if they are real to you, and you're investing in them, I think that empathy can, hopefully does, transfer to the reader. But how did you develop the ability to do that rather than say, okay, I'm going to write about this this crime and they solved it. How did you develop the, the ability to get into these characters, flesh them out, and share that with the reader? So I think there's some writers that would say, um, their emphasis is on plot, mm-hmm. and others would say theirs is on character. Mm-hmm. To me, character is plot. You know, okay. it's not mm-hmm. so much what happens, but how we respond to what happens. It's not so much what happens in the book, but how the how do the characters respond to what's happening? Yes. And so I feel like if if even sometimes I'll start a book because I have a plot or an idea, like in the case of this one, it's inspired by an actual true crime case. Mm-hmm. I was just so fascinated by that case I knew I wanted to write about it but it's only as these characters interact with the case and care about the case and what's happening to them that really anything interesting to me happens it's not the mechanics of the plot or can you trick the reader or fool them into not knowing who done it I love all that Mm -hmm. and and that's why I write mystery fiction but it's to me, it's character first. We're talking with Michael Lister, and this latest book is uh, number five in the Burke and Blade series. And Burke and Blade are Panama City Beach PIs. And uh, if you're not familiar with any of his work, this is a good place to start with this series. But I'd like to recommend the Jimmy Riley series, which is one of my favorites. Mm, so we're going to come back with Michael Lister in just a few here on WGN. A group of 40 something. AAU moms have an adult slumber party to celebrate one of their birthdays in a mansion on Panama City Beach. The next morning, one of them is found dead, face down in the backyard. Was it a drunken accident, suicide, or murder? I hate when that happens. And you go to a party. You know, that is from the back cover of Michael Lister's latest book, Dead of Night. And it's part of the Burke and Blade series. And Burke and Blade, as I said before the break, are Panama City Beach PIs. With interesting backstories. backstories really yeah. interesting yeah, backstories. Complicated backstories. I hesitate to ask you, do you know these people? And, I mean, are they a combination of people that you actually have encountered in real life no i I do feel like i know them because they're you know in in my head but no i um they were sort of created from from whole cloth okay i have to ask you then because you are obviously 
soaking up people's eccentricities when you're around them. You're going, oh, that's mm. kind of a cool, weird yes. thing that person does. Do you ever have people say to you, like you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and they go, Michael, don't put this in a book. Oh, yes. Yeah. Don't, because this happens to us. We'll have conversations, at, primarily Thanksgiving, and the family says, do not say this on the radio. Right. <laughs> you know, if you do, change my name. <laughs> so does that happen? All the time. And, and and the reverse happens. Like someone will say something, I'll be like, that is such a great line. Do you mind if I use that in the oh, book? You know, okay. can I, you know, that turn of phrase or that concept or idea. And so. you're also a musician. So I'm sure that, because I know this comes to Steve, he'll say, get your phone out, write this down. That's a great line for a song. Yeah. I do that all the time. Driving over here tonight, I was really? talking. Really? Yeah. Sending myself emails and messages of ideas and oh, that's cool. So you, did your mind ever get tired? I mean, it seems like it's just going all the time. I love it. I, you know, I, I just, um, I guess I would be so bored if I weren't able to do that. You yeah. Know? So yeah, I don't, I don't ever want it to turn off. When you start a new series, how long does it take you to get to know the characters? And I, and what I'm thinking of is. When I read the first Birkenblade book, it was, I would say, maybe a quarter of the way into the book before I realized, okay, this is how Burke talks, this is how Blade talks. I mean, they, and even if you didn't tell me who said what, I could tell from the things they were saying which person it was. So how long does it take you to get to that point with your characters? Well, like with them, I was living with them, thinking about them, conceiving them for quite a while before I ever started. I mean, years before I started the series. And and yet, just like the reader, I get to know them a little better each book. You know, because you go deeper, deeper and deeper, and spend more time with them. And so I, I feel like I know them pretty well when I start, but it's really just the beginning, because every book reveals even more. But and as we talked with uh, Jamie Frivoletti last week, I, you've also told us that there are times when you may have an outline for the book, but as you're writing it, suddenly one of the characters may tell you they would do something a little differently, and you go off in a different direction. Yes, and I don't outline, but I do start with some vague notions of where it's going. Mm-hmm. Since it's a mystery, I typically know who done it, and I know how I'm going to try to deceive the reader into thinking other people did it, but. I am a discovery writer, and I write into the darkness, and I wake up each morning anxious to get to the keyboard to see what happens next. I feel like if I, if I have that experience, hopefully the reader will. And the unfolding is what I enjoy so much. And if you are – if you listen and if you leave space, I think the characters do let you know what's next and what how they would respond to what is happening you just use a phrase that i love and and i don't think i've ever heard any other writer use the phrase you write into the darkness Mm. Mm. i'm sure uh, many others have but but i do like that concept especially for a series that has night in the title what do you mean by you writing into the darkness so i forget which writer said it but he said, writing a novel is like driving cross-country. You can drive across the whole continent but the, at night, but the only thing you can see is how far your headlights are going to illuminate in ah. front of you. So I don't know what Montana 
is going to be like when I get there. But I know what my what you know this section of ninety Highway ninety eight is illuminated by my headlights, and so that's all I need to know to get all the way to the end of the book. That's very cool. <laughs> Do you write differently if you're sitting at a typewriter versus a keyboard? And that may be a crazy question, but I'm thinking about the speed at which you can write or type on a keyboard versus on a typewriter. Because I know you have typewriters. You're old school like that. Well, I have a typewriter collection. I don't actually type. I don't use a typewriter. But I can tell you that my handwriting is so terrible <laughs> that I, if I didn't have a keyboard, if I didn't have a computer, I'm not sure I could do it. I, I don't think I could decipher what I had written. You were kind enough to read Steve's brother's novel mm. before it was published. And I don't think you know that he wrote that entire novel on legal pads wow. in longhand. Yep. And then he had to sit down and type it out. Which, in a way, was a good way to proof it. Because as an English oh, yeah. teacher, as he was typing it, he was, I think, proofing it. Which is So I asked you earlier what that word meant. Mm-hmm. I can't even say it. Not you missed to attempt it. Yes. I came home from third grade. And I said, Mom, what does atrocious mean? Oh. And she said, why? I said, because Miss Register said my handwriting is atrocious. <laughs> so I, I, I... And you were like eight? <laughs> yeah. So um, I just... I like the... I think differently when I put my hands on a, on a keyboard. Okay. It, it's, there is a tactile connection. There's a flow that... Um, I guess I've done it that way from the very beginning. The, mm-hmm. My the very first words I wrote of "Power in the Blood" were on a on a computer, on a tie, on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So that's writing for me. Now I journal almost every day, and it is in longhand, and it's um, I do that for a particular reason, and and it has a but it's there's something about putting my hands on a keyboard that just opens something up, and a mm. flow starts, and. And it looks so nice on the screen as <laughs> yes. opposed to trying to read chicken scratch, right? Yes. Your atrocious yeah. writing, yes, exactly. right? Well, we got to know you from one of your novels, which is not part of a series, and that's Double Exposure. Uh, what the character's name is a very cool name, uh, Remington. Remington, Remington yeah, yes. And terrifying book, mm. absolutely terrifying. <laughs> we actually read it down here, and. Yep. <laughs> And you freaked me out because it's set locally, as all of your books are. Um, at that time, we sought you out. We couldn't believe that you were so accessible locally because you are, because you often speak. You do book signings all the time. But there was rumor on the street at that time that that book, Doubled Exposure, was going to become a move. Yes. What's the latest on that? So I signed a new contract this very week. No. There's a new producer involved. And... I think we're as close as we've ever been, and this has been a 10-year process mm-hmm. yes. with the same uh, director, same producer, same uh, writer who adapted the screenplay. So we've had the same team in place for a decade. Now we've got a new producer involved and a new casting director, and I feel like there's a there's a new energy around it okay like there hasn't been in, in a few years mm-hmm. and I, I think we are i think we're close we'll see I, you know i've said that before i've thought yes. that before but i feel like right now we're as close as we've ever been and that means what well what that means is i think there's a 
outside chance it could be shot before the end of this year or the beginning of next. And it has to be shot locally because oh, well, the area well. is a character in the movie. I would certainly like that, and I feel like some of it will be. Yeah. Uh, director of photography came down this past January, scouted locations, mm-hmm. fell in love with the place. He's like, "Yes, we've got to, we've got to shoot it there." And he actually, I took him out to the land that inspired it. Mm-hmm. It's family property. It's been, you know. And, and and this is in Weewa Hitchcock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, outside of Weewa. And and but the new producer is saying, Are you kidding? With the tax credits and everything we can get in Georgia and Louisiana, <sighs> it's most likely most of it will be shot there. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that's a good place to start for for folks who want to read Michael Lister. I do as we did. Start with double exposure, because then you'll start craving other things he's written. Then you'll find yourself falling into a series like the John Jordan series or the, the latest, the Birkin Blade series. But that is a very cool book, and I can't tell you how many times I've shared that book with people. And it's a quick read, too. Uh, that's one of those... Well, well it, it is a quick read in the sense that, if you're like me... I could not exactly. put it down. That's what I mean. You can't of put all it my down. books, and I, I have a few that people say, you know, I stayed up all night. Mm-hmm. You owe me sleep. You know those kind yes. of. Yes. But double exposure gets that more than any any well, other. Well, the other book you did, the true crime about the Atlanta murders, mm. the, the children's murder. That, even though innocent I knew the blood. story, innocent yeah. blood, I was like, oh, I got to find out where this is going because I knew the story because it was based on the true story, yeah. uh, that horrible story of the Atlanta murders, yes. uh, and. It, You've done a couple of those based on true crimes, is that? Yes, um, most of the books I've written over the last, um, I'd say, eight years or so, have been inspired by true crime. Inspired, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Sometimes I use the actual case, and so I will, like with the Atlanta child murders. There's an investigation going on uh, with the actual murders involving Wayne Williams and the actual, you know, victims. And the other suspects. Mm-hmm. And then so I'm doing that and have a parallel case. And, and right. the question is, is this child who was killed around that time, what, should he have been on the list? Is he one of the yes. victims of the Atlanta child murderer? Or is this something else? So I've done that with that uh, with that case, with Ted Bundy, with, with other cases. And then sometimes I'll take, like in the, in the case of Dead of Night, I took a case of the... Um, it's the uh, Tamala, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, Tamala Horford case in Cummings, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And she was the only African-American woman to attend this adult slumber party. And in this, you know, two-story home, every, everybody's drinking and having a good time. These women, you know, instead of going out, they wanted to stay in. Uh, and the next morning, she is found face down, dead in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And there is no possible way... You could fall off the balcony, which was 12 feet, 10 feet, mm-hmm. and it kill you to and land on grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then looking at her injuries, it's like, this is not possible. And yet they, they being the Cummings Police Department, ruled it an accidental death mm-hmm. with very little investigation. With you know, So I, that was just like, oh, my, I have to write about yeah. this. Yeah. And, um, and as I do, I, I took the real case and moved it to this area yes you did we we have to take a break when we come back i want to pursue a little more of uh, michael's multimedia life okay so stay with us at wgn we're talking with new york times best-selling author michael lister about his uh, new book dead of night 
But Michael, before we get back to this, you were talking about uh, how one of your books has been optioned for a movie, but I believe, unless it's talking out of out of school, and if it is, well, I'm talking out of school. <laughs> uh, weren't there some rumors of a John Jordan TV series? Yes. yes. What's so, the latest with that? So unlike. I feel like Double Exposure will make a really fine film, feature mm-hmm. film. The length, the time. For a novel like or a series like the John Jordan series, I really want long form TV, mm-hmm. not network, episodic, mm-hmm. you know, 50 minutes is one mystery. I want the true detective, yeah. Bosch, that kind of where a novel is a season. Mm-hmm. So you get eight or ten episodes to tell the story of a of a novel, mm-hmm. and uh, it has been optioned and it is in process. Um, we're really early in the stages of of that one, mm-hmm. but I am very hopeful that that's going to happen. Do you allow yourself to deal with who would be my characters? Uh, what star out there would be John Jordan? People ask me that. All the time. I was. I spoke to a book club this week, and they were asking about uh, Remington James. You know who? Uh-huh. Double exposure. I, I, yes, because it's so close, I believe. But um, I really don't. I, I can't. And, and like the producer will bring either headshots or like hmm. names, and and I can say, you know, this is clearly not him, or this won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say this is closer, or this he might be great, but to have an actor in mind, I, I just don't. Well, it's I, probably good then because you won't be disappointed when they go with someone that you you wouldn't have cast in. I tell role. you, I have to see the book and the movie as two different things. It's, yes. it's like yes, I, you do. I, it's the movie cannot change the book in any way, mm-hmm. you know. And the book is mine. Mm-hmm. The movie will be a multitude of people's. You know? Right, right. So for your own sanity, you have to say okay. <laughs> That's for them to deal with. And, and once you've signed a contract, you really you can't do anything with it, right? It's it's theirs to or, do. Or do you retain certain control? Do you negotiate that as you're negotiating the contract? So I'm in a really unique and good situation because of, the, of this decade-long process. I have such a great relationship with the writer-director, with the producer, with the mm. director of photography. We've worked together for 10 years, and there is a level of trust and understanding, and they have invited me to be a part of the process and welcome my input. So that's been wonderful. Now, to answer your question, yes, when you option, when when they get that option of your book, they can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this case, they have really been great about letting me, and I don't try to change what they're doing, and the movie is going to be different from the book, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's... um, it's nice to be able to because I care about it, and they know that, and they know I'm not trying to do their job or you know get in the way. Um, it's a really good relationship, and and feel like I'll be able to have uh, input and and help help shepherd it to a good outcome. So you you you'll have some say so in the songs that they're going to put in. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right, before we run out of time. Here we have the good fortune of being able to do our show for Chicago in the Panhandle, in Panama City. Yes. Your 40-plus books are set in this area. For people who've never been here before, 
What is so inspiring about this area? You're from Weewahitchka, right down the road a piece. A very scary road, I might say. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the darkest road I've driving ever driven home from on. Michael's house at night. Oh, I'm Look, sorry. I got goosebumps talking <laughs> about it because there are specters on the side of that road. I tell you, trees that come to life. It's so spooky. But besides that, what do you find so inspiring about this area? I think. For me, because it's home, I feel like the the Apalachicola River runs through my veins. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like the I feel so connected to this land, to this region, and I feel like if I were if I lived somewhere else, I would have that same experience. But this is home. I feel a, a responsibility as a as someone who writes about this area. I love the the natural beauty is mm-hmm. probably you know when it comes to the thing that is so inspiring uh and in the book club this week people were asking me they were saying i had people who grew up here who just read the book and i had people who just moved here and read Mm -hmm. the book both said they felt like they were there they felt like they were in the river swamp they felt immersed and and that's what i always wanted is if you live here and are it you know all about this area and you've experienced it I would like to take you even farther in and have you have a deeper experience of mm-hmm. it. And if you've never been here, if you're reading it across the world, you would still know what it's like. Mm-hmm. So I would say the natural beauty, the river system that is so unique, the Gulf. The, to me, yeah. it's the most beautiful mm-hmm. you know, body of water. Um, and the fact that each area attracts a different kind of people like you did a book called thunder beach and we've got thunder week is yeah. coming up next week yes. when motorcyclists are going to be coming to the area from all over the i mean literally thousands of them right and that was one of the themes in one of your books and that's different than what you would experience in town or in we yeah, absolutely. But, but is this area unique in that every area has its own pluses and minuses but, oh boy, is this area a main character throughout a lot of your writing. It really is. And, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of diversity in this area. And with a short drive, like you were just talking about, you can have such different experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can find yourself in the lost in the middle of the river swamp and think you'll never see <laughs> civilization again. Or you can experience Thunder Beach, you know, yeah. or... or uh, um, it, it's just a, I also like that there's no central city. It's a lot of small towns, mm-hmm. and there there's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences between them. Mm-hmm. And um, I've told many, many people that this area is not the Florida that you know. South. It's not Disney World. Yes, no. it's not Miami. This is the no. South. Yes, this is this is meat and three and iced tea. Lower you know, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So here's before we run completely out of time. If you can leave your family for a month, come to Chicago and see what inspires you in Chicago. Mm. We'll put you up for a yeah. month to come and Seriously. write. See, I w- I would see if that really city inspires that. Maybe you. Maybe for a weekend. <laughs> okay. <Not> a month. <laughs> well, b- before we wrap up, if uh, if you want to find out more about Michael, you can go to his website, cleverly titled michaellister.com. Right. L- yes. L-I-S-T-E-R. Mm-hmm. As on, on the best-selling list 
collector, right? <laughs> the new book is Dead of Night. It belongs in your collection. Thank yes, you. Michael. Thank it's always so uh, it's wonderful to have you in studio with us. We've talked to you on the phone for many years on the radio, but it's so great to sit across the table it is from so you. Nice. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so me. much. News is next in the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. And if you were at the Grand Ole Opry last night, you heard those two pickers just having a ball on mm. stage. That's uh, our friend Tommy Emanuel, and uh, one of the the people that he is working with on his brand new album, Accomplice Two, Molly Tuttle. Yes, and uh, it's just, so good. Oh, it's such wonderful stuff. Every time I listen to Tommy Emanuel, I think of our cardiologist friend who said, "I should make my." customers my patients listen to his music because it's good for their heart it's aerobic tommy emmanuel is with us on the phone tonight hey tommy hey is it, uh, my heart's still pumping how's yours <laughs> so you got wonderful feedback from the audience last night performing with molly uh, tuttle she was your surprise guest right that's right exactly um well uh, i i uh when I was booked to do the Opry, uh, I had to make a dash back from uh, Merlefest. I was in Merlefest uh, the, the 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 day before, and uh, and then uh, and Molly was not doing Merlefest, so I found out that she was in town. So I said, "How about coming and doing White Trade Liner with me on the Opry?" And she said, "Oh, she she would like to." So. Um, uh, I, I uh, organized that I would go out first and play uh, another song from the album called uh, Son of a Gun, which is a, a kind of Travis-style, Mel Travis-style song that I wrote as a tribute to uh, Tom Bresch, who passed away last year, the mm-hmm. son of Merle Travis. And so I, I played that first, and then I said, well, i got a surprise for you, and here she is, and then she came out, and we just tore into it. You know, she she plays and sings that stuff so great. She really does. She is amazing. Uh, we did not get to see you on the Opry last night because it, uh, the, our cable system doesn't carry it, which should be yeah, un-American. Sadly. That's wrong. But uh. we, I, I watched the video on YouTube of you two, and that girl... As, as I've said to you so often, Tommy, I'm blown away by the fact that you don't have to look at your hands. She doesn't either. It's just coming right from her heart. It's just kind of flowing right through her fingers. It's amazing. Yeah, she's yeah. There, there's it, she plays a few different styles, mm-hmm. and one of them is called claw hammer, and and uh, it, it's like a kind of Appalachian sound um, mm-hmm. and. I've never seen anybody do it as good as her. But she's she's like me. She's from a family who played music together. Her father was her guitar teacher. Hmm. And in fact, in fact, Tommy, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. And you know how much we we love you and we love your playing. Years ago, when I was in a band, there was one guitarist that I worked with who made me up my game. And I wonder, are there ever moments when, sure, you enjoy being on stage with someone, but are there some people who, even at your level, which is as good as it can get, are there some people who, when you find you're going to be on stage or recording with them, 
make you up your game? Just about everybody I work with. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, uh, You know, one of my greatest joys is making music with other people. It's, It's such a beautiful experience. And to me, it's the sort of spiritual, sacred side of music. It's like when two, two people who play because they love it come together, it's, it's a very deep and meaningful experience. And you can have a lot of fun with it. You can learn a lot from it. And you can push each other in a kind of fun way that really brings the best out in you. I know there were many times, if you remember back to the times when Frank Vignola and and Vinnie Raniolo were on the road with me, and we we came in to to play on your show. You remember, I mean, we just pushed ourselves. (laughs) We pushed each other and had a lot of fun. Yeah. And I feel that way when I play with them, when I, when I play with uh, Richard Smith, Martin Taylor, um, you know, uh, Doyle Dykes. There are so many amazing players out there. And uh, there's a young lady who plays the mandolin uh, named Sierra Hull, who plays on my album as well. My God, she, she always ups my game. There's no doubt about it. You mentioned that uh, that night that you came in with Frank and Vinio. If anybody wants yeah. to see that, go to the Steve and Johnny YouTube channel, and that video is up there. And that's one of those things that it just—it's magic. Uh, again, your your heart rate starts going, <laughs> and it's just wonderful stuff. But I I have to mention your new album, Accomplice Two. It just came out yeah. Friday. And you're working with people like uh, Richard Smith, Little Feet, and Sam Bush, uh, Billy Strings, uh, Jamie Johnson, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Raul Malo. How how did this this come together? Well, it was it was sheer um, luck. That's what it was, (laughs) Um, because. I uh, I have to tell you, I had one of the biggest years of my life last year. I was busier than a one-armed fiddler, and um, and I I had the biggest numbers. I played to the biggest numbers in my entire career last year. It was twenty-two was the year. It was amazing. Wow! And and so what what I what I had to do in order for me to get <coughs> this album done. Can you imagine how hard it is to try and get artists who are as busy as you are and get their schedules in line with yours, even for a day? It's Mm -hmm. not easy. Hmm. And so I called a lot of favors. And things like Little Feet were on tour, and we'd already jammed a bit uh, a couple of times. And so I found out when they were coming through Nashville, and they literally pulled up their buses out front of the studio. The guy and the crew got there early, set up the drums and the, and, uh, and the, the bass rig and uh, or, um, got the instruments for the other guys and we got the, uh, the grand piano out for Billy Payne to play. Got mm-hmm. everything set up. And then the, the guys literally came off the bus, came into the studio. We, we ran through 
changing girl once to get all the sounds right, and then we recorded it, <laughs> and then the boys and I formed a kind of party uh, group, what we call party vocals. In other words, we we as a as a team recorded the backing vocals uh, well, in the chorus as a kind of party vocal, and, mm-hmm. and we all sang around one one mic. And you can mm. see it on the video. Yeah, so it's the, wonderful. You know, and so we, we did the take. And I said, okay, that's it. Thanks very much. And they, they the crew came in, packed everything up. The guys got on the bus and away they went. <laughs> and that, that, was, that was the morning. And then that afternoon, um, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band came in and, and we, we did uh, Tennessee Stud. And, and then, then Sam Bush came back. Uh, with his mandolin, and 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 we did the Yellow Rose of Texas. So there were three tracks done in that one day of people coming in and out, you know. And Amazing. then the following day, the following day at another studio, I had Molly come in in the morning, and then Raoul come in in the afternoon. And Molly and I cut that track. It was first take, really, you know. Mm. Uh, uh, and the same thing with 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 Rao. We, we uh, I'm playing the rhythm part and he's singing, and the first cake was beautiful, but he wasn't happy with one of his phrasing, and he uh-huh. said, "Why don't we just do another one?" So we did a second cake, and that's the one that, that that's on the record. That was he, he was there like an hour, and then he was mm-hmm. gone. That's so. That's Raul Malu, the lead singer from the Mavericks. Tommy, we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to let our listeners hear the single from your new CD, Accomplice 2. That single is Tommy Emanuel with Little Feet and Sam Bush, and it's called Cajun Girl. So stay with us here on WGN. That's Cajun Girl, Tommy Emanuel with Little Feet and Sam Bush from the brand new album just out Friday called Accomplice 2. Tommy Emanuel is with us on the line, and Tommy, I got to tell you, I was yes, so ti- I was so tickled to see, uh, uh, to hear Little Feet, and then to see the video of them in studio with you because I first saw Little Feet when Lowell George was their lead singer back in 1975, and I thought, oh my, that? well, that's when uh, I first heard them too. Yeah, you know? they sound great. Thursday and, and, uh, night at uh, Millfest. I got to play Dixie Chicken with them. You Did know? you really? Oh, cool. Oh. Amazing. <laughs> and it was just... And, and there's, a, there's a young guitar player... Pardon me. A young guitar player in the band now doing Lowell's part, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his name is Scott Sherrard. <clears throat> Holy moly, he's so great. He sings great and he plays great. <laughs> and... Um, uh, uh, on the end of uh, Cajun Girl, uh, on my album, he takes a long solo at the end, yes. and I purposely did that because he needs to be heard. Yes, and and folks, again, you need to see the video of the interaction that these guys mm-hmm. have together in studio. It is, it, yeah. It's acoustic, but it's electric. <laughs> it is so good. And you can well, you go to Tommy's what? YouTube I'll channel you to I, see that. I'll tell you what I wanted to do with this album, and that mm-hmm. is, I had my video team, uh, the, the two friends of mine who shoot all my videos, I had them booked for every recording date. They came in and filmed us. And basically, what you see in the video 
is what you hear on the record. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not us performing to the track. It's us actually playing the track. And it comes, I love that. It, it comes yeah. through. Yeah, yes. it really comes right. through. Yeah, you get the energy coming right. through loud and clear. Absolutely. Yeah. Tommy, uh, we're, we're assuming that the whole world knows who you are, and they should because you are internationally acclaimed. You're the best. And as you said, last year was one of your biggest years ever. But you mentioned uh, not Molly Tuttle comes from a music family. You do, too. Yeah. You first started playing when you were four, right? Correct, correct. And then you it were my mom. And Sorry, were you were you ahead, were you professional by the time you were six? Yeah, I was ready to retire by the time I had to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we first became aware of you when a, a listener of ours yeah. many years ago moved to Australia, sent us the right. album uh, with you and your brother Phil. And we were just blown away. Yes. And then when we first saw you in Nashville at one of Muriel Anderson's All-Star Guitar Nights, we, it, was, it was a moment we will never forget. Yes. Oh, wow. thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, I, I have a lot of great memories. I mean, every time I've, I've come in to, to be a part of this show, it's always been a really memorable experience and and uh you know uh it's important for a person like me to be able to uh you know just play and talk and 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 to, for people to know that this is what you do and 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 it's real you know mm-hmm. yeah, yes there's not a bunch of uh people doing the stuff and, and i'm the front man it's just mm-hmm. i i do everything and um and and I love this life, and I'm so grateful. I mean, really, I'm living my my dream. I'm living mm. my childhood dream because, you know, the, the way I I do things now, where I'm playing and what I'm doing and traveling and playing concerts around the world, that was my dream when I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. and my my mother encouraged me. You know, every time I said to her, "Oh, I'm going to meet Chet Atkins," she'd say, "I bet you will." You know, ah. and I'd say, and we're, we're going to play together. You know, oh, I mm. bet you will. And then, mm. you know, I want to be on the Opry. I bet you get there, you know, and stuff oh. like that. You know. That is so cool. And, and I, I want to respond to some people that have been texting us uh, at 312. Oh, nice. Uh, 9817200 and they wanted to know when are you going to be in the Chicago area you're going to play the Park West what is it in October, October. you're coming back to uh, Chicago yes October. oh I like I really like the Park West and I really like it when my friends come and introduce me <laughs> well guess what Tommy that night October 14th is my 50th high school reunion can you believe it? Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking, I don't really need to go to my 50th reunion. I need to be at the Park West is what happens. So I think the answer is if you, if you need uh, some people to introduce you, I think you got it. we know people. Yes. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. But, you know, it's been a while since I played in Chicago. But, you yes. know, I, I remember I started at Chuba's. All those years oh ago. yes! Sure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yes. I, in fact, I it was, was 
It was Shuba's was the location that we took our cardiologist to see that's you, right. and that's where he said, "Oh, good grief! Everybody in, should see him." He was in the front row, yes. center, and when he stood up, he tur- he literally turned around and said to the audience, "You people need to do this all the time for your heart." Yes, he literally said that. Isn't that sweet? It really, oh, and it's man. very true. Hey, Tommy, we've got to take a break for news. We're going to come back with you. We're not going to keep you all night like we have done many, many times in the past. But sit tight, and we'll come back in just a few minutes right here on WGN. If you can listen to that and your heart rate doesn't go up, I'm sorry, call The Undertaker. Something is drastically wrong. Those two are so good. That's our guest, Tommy Emanuel, the one and only Tommy Emanuel, and he's with Richard Smith. And Richard Smith is yeah. he is also jaw droppingly good. Now, how did your how, how did your schedules collide so that you could get together to do that, Tommy? Well, um, I I wrote that song quite a few years ago uh, when I got to know Tom Bresh, and when Tom passed away last year, I rang Richard and I said. I'd like you to work out a second part for Son of a Gun and let's record it. So I went out to his studio at his house. He's got a he's got a really good studio but behind his house. And I went out there and I recorded the song, my my part, and mm-hmm. I left it with him. He came back from tour, worked out his part and put it on and it mm-hmm. sounds perfect. It sounds like we're both in this sitting next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. But it was actually done, uh, I did my part, and then I went on tour. He, did, he came home from tour and did his part about a month later. <laughs> mm. And it's got the signature Tommy Emanuel laugh in there, too. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I call that your signature laugh. Tommy, when you and oh. I had, when we had a chance to talk a couple of weeks ago, you had just come back from Iceland. Was that your first trip to Iceland? No, that was my third one. But um, uh, normally when I play in Iceland, uh, it's usually uh, a part of, of a European tour. So mm-hmm. I'll fly out of, out of uh, New York, straight into Iceland, um, do my show, and then fly out the next morning to Munich or somewhere like that and start the next leg of the tour. So mm-hmm. it's always fly in and fly out. But this time, uh, I did a, a, a guitar retreat where I had uh, some great instructors. I had Mike Dawes, Martin Taylor, Jerry Douglas, uh, Joshua Stefan from Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, Bjorn Thoridsen, who's from, from um, uh, Reykjavik there in, in uh, Iceland. So they were my instructors, and we mm-hmm. had about... 180 people come in from around the world. Some wow. Canadians, some Japanese, uh, a lot of Americans, some Australians, some English, and people came from all over. And basically, we built the the schedule so they could get their lessons during the day with the different teachers. Um, I took the entire group in the morning, and then there'd be some sightseeing and stuff. So we'd go and see glaciers um, and hot hot thermal springs and yes. we, we went all that stuff so we did like Iceland tourist stuff and then uh-huh. 
they, they the buses would would return to some particular location, and we would be set up and we would play a show there that night, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the very last night we were there, I played a concert in the local big big hall uh, in in the city, and uh, and the local local guitar player opened for me, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great, and all the students, and then all the public as well, were all set set together. Now you are going to be packing up to go to Australia and spending the month of I May am. back home in Australia, right? Yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. I haven't played in Australia since um, early uh, 2019, mm-hmm. so it's been a while, and I'm so looking forward to it. It's the biggest sell- biggest selling tour I've ever done in Australia. There, wow. there are wow. two sold out shows yeah. at the Sydney Opera House on one day. Oh my gosh! So I'm, I'm doing a three o'clock show and a six and, and an eight o'clock show, and we are recording and filming both shows. So I'm going to get a new live album and a new live in concert DVD at the Opera House. Awesome. You have more energy than any 20 people I've ever known. But I have to I ask you. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> You're a tigger, yes. <laughs> when you are doing multiple performances in one day, how do you keep yeah. up your energy between those two performances? Because the, the way you perform, well, it takes a lot out of you. It does. And uh, it's not easy. It was When I was young, uh, I could do it 10 times. But now, uh, I, I finish the show and I, I go and take a rest. Uh, I lay down, even if I don't sleep, I just uh, I let my body fall into it, whether it's a couch or whatever, and I just rest. And then get up, eat something, play, and uh, I do a meet and greet before every show. So, you know, I'm often asked about meets and greet. People say... How on earth do you do you have the energy to do a meet and greet, then go and do a show? Mm. Well, what people don't realize is that you walk into a room with 35 people who are paid extra to meet you, and they're excited and they're enthusiastic. There's a great energy in that room. Yeah. And I'm there to hoover it up. I'm <laughs> there to take to take their energy on board, and then I always tell them, I'm going to give it back to you when I walk on stage. Oh. And boy, do you. Yeah. Wow. I try. <laughs> well, you succeed. We're telling you from experience. You do. Uh, you have this brand new album out. I've got to ask you some, uh, just a couple of the quick basic questions that people have posted, and they might be new to okay, you. Great. So uh, do you still practice every day? I practice as much as I can. Um, if I don't feel like it, I don't worry about it. I do something else, and I come back to it. But normal, my normal day is I wake up about 6 o'clock in the morning, every morning, and I, I come out here and, uh, and get my guitar out and play quietly hmm. for a while. I play a few songs. You know, people, people uh, have the wrong idea that, you know, I, I must sit and practice uh, technique and skills and modes and scale uh, that nothing could be further from the truth when I practice I play tunes as if you're listening oh. 
Yeah. And, and, and didn't you tell us once that when you are learning a new song or you have written a new song, you keep playing it over and over and over and over to get to yeah. the point that you don't have to think about it, that when you're on stage, if you want to do something different, it's there. You don't have to worry about it's it. There. Yeah. What happens is everything starts out as a new skill. So you practice the skill over and over until it stops being a skill and the music appears. And then your concentration goes to the melody and the feeling of what you're doing. That's when the enjoyment of, mm-hmm. of playing music becomes so addictive and so wonderful. Okay, a couple of quick questions. Do you read music? No, I wish I could. <laughs> you, and you've never really tried because, you know what, since you were six, you've done okay without learning. Well, I, I've been busy playing it. I, I, uh-huh. I, I haven't had time to learn to read. I've been too busy trying to play it. Well, Tommy, you probably remember this. My favorite quote about anyone learning how to play music or knowing how to play music, I believe, came from Chet Atkins. Someone asked him if he knew how to play music, and he replied, how to read music. And he said, "Uh, yeah, but not so much that it hurts my playing. That's exactly right. Just enough so it doesn't get in the way of my playing. <laughs> yeah. And finally, J- Jimmy wants to know if you ever play electric guitar. Oh, I started on electric. Absolutely. Yes, you did. I, yeah. I was playing. Yeah. Well, if you listen to um, uh, Daddy Frank that I did with uh, Jamie Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, I, I played electric guitar on that track, uh, and I played acoustic guitars, and bass and drums. So I, I definitely still play electric guitar. Well, and Tommy, I, I will never forget one of the moments from one of your concerts at the, uh, I believe it was at the Park West, as a matter of fact, was when you and Phil came on stage and you were both playing electric and the two of you were playing some old Ventures songs. And it was such That's a right. hoot to hear that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that was, that was well, actually Martyrs. Sometimes oh. we, yeah, sometimes the two of us just played the one guitar. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh yep. my, yeah. yeah, that's a hoot, wow. Well, yeah. Tommy, we well, said we... you know, we, we, we grew up in show business. We, our main thing was we've got to entertain people, you know. Yeah, and you do. You get your money's worth. I want to tell listeners that your latest album is a good introduction to you, the many faces of you, the many styles, because you demonstrate it by performing with all of these other wonderful people like Michael McDonald and Jamie Johnson and Richard Smith and Little Feet and and Sam Bush and Molly Tuttle, and the list goes on and on. We got our album. It it arrived in the mail yesterday. Yep. So the album is available. You can get it through Tommy Emanuel's website. And uh, I also oh. ordered, Steve doesn't know this, but I ordered the Tommy Emanuel hoodie with the really cool tree on the back oh. with the guitar at the oh, base cool. of the tree. Yes. Cool. <laughs> I guess I should have told him that because it doesn't fit him. I got my size. So. <laughs> oh. Thank you well, so much. Thank well, you, Tommy. I, I, it is... I really hope you like it. We would love it. We love it. It it is always fun to talk to you, Tommy. Thank you so much for uh, fitting us into your schedule. And uh, feel some big virtual hugs. You know, we love you. And safe travels to Australia. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you so much. I'll I'll look forward to sharing some 
stories from this tour with you when I when I get back. Let's do it for sure. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Love to love you too. Thank you. More coming up at WGN. One of the crazy things about Tommy Emanuel and Johnny and I were talking about this as we were driving in tonight. As fast as he is playing, he's not looking at his hands. No. He's just... Seriously, you guys have to look at the video of him performing with Molly Tuttle. Yeah. Because as you're watching it, your jaw drops. You're like, that's that's impossible to do what they're doing. And if you wonder what the Molly Tuttle song is, it's White Freight Liner Blues. Good old bluegrass. And you bluegrass. can go to... Uh, uh, just go to YouTube and look it yeah. up. Uh, look up uh, uh, Tommy Emanuel and Molly Tuttle, and it'll come up. And it's yeah. just so much fun. So that answers a question that a listener who just tuned in uh, texted from a 630 area code and said, Who is this man? Well, that man was Tommy Emanuel. And uh, you can find everything about him. Uh, and he is coming to the Park West on October 14th. And I would like to give a shout-out to the listener in the 847 area code. God bless you for saying... I cannot be having my 50th high school reunion on October 14th. I cannot be that old. Well, I am, but thank you for that compliment anyway. (laughs) And Judy B., thank you for your nice text. Judy said, oh, my God, this is such a beautiful interview with Tommy Emanuel. Old friends reunited. And, yes, we've had some wonderful time on the radio with him after doing a two- and three-hour show. Oh, yeah. On stage, he would change clothes grab his guitar and come right to the radio station and stay with us until the wee hours of the morning. And I will never forget, I was just telling Caleb Jordan, who's our executive in-house producer, that when you hear Tommy do Somewhere Over the Rainbow, it will almost bring you to tears. It's so beautiful. And the one and only Paul Harvey was driving into work the Mm -hmm. morning that Tommy was on and he played Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And Tommy played it as a tribute to Les Paul because right. Les had recently passed away. That morning, we get a call from Paul Harvey's right-hand person. June Westcard. June said, Mr. Harvey would like to know if he could get a copy of that live performance of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So we sent it to him, and he sent us a wonderful thank you note and said, oh, I play it all the time. It just does my heart good to hear it. Oh, I wish I could see Tommy Emanuel someday. Mm -hmm. And we tried to work that out. We really honestly did try to work it out for him to see him. And at his funeral, that was a piece of music that they played. It meant so much to him. And I always imagined him at 3.30 in the morning in a dark car with no traffic on the road. He's driving into downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. He's got his radio turned on, as he told us he did every morning on his way to work. And he hears this music, and he gets to work, and he says, I've got to have that. And that's just such a cool story. And we, there are a lot of those stories. We're not kidding when we say we took our cardiologist to see Tommy, and he was in the front row center. And at the end of the show, Tommy walks off stage, and Dr. Winslow stood up and looked at the audience and said, that's good for your heart. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it, and, and if you've never seen Tommy Emanuel, oh, boy, yeah, do yourself a real favor. And you can go to Tommy's website. Uh, it's uh, TommyEmanuel.com or uh, CertifiedGuitarPlayer.com. Yes. Or just look for Tommy Emanuel. And you can find his tour. I don't care where you are listening to us around the world. You want to see 
Tommy Emanuel. And in all fairness, because I said at the top of the show, we had a lot of listeners from Wisconsin tonight. Beth checks in tonight to tell us that, in fact, when he leaves the Park West on the 14th of October. Oh, that's right. He's going up to uh, what, what is the, the hall? Pabst, the Pabst Theater. The Pabst Theater, which yes. was the the theater. That's a beautiful theater. It is gorgeous. That was, that was the theater we were at with Les Paul with the last time we saw Les. Yeah. When we were a part of the concert, at uh, the, uh, it was the homecoming concert for Les Paul. Beth, correct me if I'm wrong, or anyone from the Milwaukee area, is, is it the theater that's haunted, or is it the hotel next door? Because there's some great story about a haunting there. Yeah, I've... <laughs> And I don't remember, I, but I, you're right. One of them is. I don't want to hurt the sales at the theater if the theater's not, in fact, haunted. And people are going, well, I'm not going to go to a haunted theater. But it's a beautiful it's old theater, and oh. it has been refurbished. Uh, I forget when it was built. but it And the has acoustics been, are uh, fabulous gorgeous. there. But, you know, back to the Park West. He loves playing the Park West. But we'll tell you, partly personal. One time we were seated. Remember, they they put us on top of the speakers. Oh, yes. Well, oh my it, god! The, the way the Park West is is situated, you have rows of seats, and you have there tables. is a section where under some of the seats are the woofers. <laughs> And, and it, as I said after the show, I almost feel like I should pay more for that experience because that was a full yeah. body experience. <laughs> it was. It was like, whoa, Absolutely. my whole body is yeah, vibrating. Yeah, when he hits those bass notes. Uh, yeah, and he's doing a lot of that thumb picking with bass notes. <laughs> boom, chip, boom, chip. Yep. It's <laughs> Here's my money. Can we do that again? <laughs> Michelle from Geneva. Hello, Michelle. She says, thanks so much for Tommy tonight. He's just sonic. I wonder if he knew the the late, great Danny Gatton. They remind me of each other, and I think he did. I, I'm trying to recall if he knew knew Danny Gatton. And, and if you don't know the name Danny Gatton, again, do yourself a favor. Seek it out. Danny was an extraordinary electric guitar player. Yeah. And there is a movie. In fact, we need to get in touch with some people. They've been working on uh, a movie. I believe the movie is called The Humbler because Danny Gatton was, that was his nickname. Danny would be playing this Telecaster. And in the middle of a song, if, if he was playing at a bar, he'd reach over, he'd grab a bottle, and he would play the guitar with a beer bottle. With the neck of the beer bottle, yeah. Just Tommy did mention Merle Travis. He just come from Merle Fest, Merle Fest, where people recognize the the, mm-hmm. the brilliance of Merle Travis. Uh, one of his songs is a tribute to Doc Watson. Uh, mm-hmm. He was kind of like the son to Chet Atkins. Well, and, and Merle Travis was Tom, Tom Bresch's father. Yes. And again, another fabulous guitarist that we lost last year, as uh, as Tommy had mentioned, and he does a tribute and to him. And for those of you that are saying, "Well, if Merle Travis was his father, why is his name Bresh?" It's a complicated story. He told us the story one time on the air, and I said, "That's enough." And the, the, the Bresh comes from, I guess, his birth father, who was a filmmaker, and that's where, because Tom was a very talented filmmaker, along with being an extraordinary yeah. guitar player. I forget the lineage, but, but, I think but he they also, were both fathers. He and, also wanted to distance himself if, if he was going to do this professionally, so that people would right. not always say, oh, you're his son. 
that would be you know a heavy that would be a heavy burden really i'm going to ask a question of the voice in my head uh andrew do we need to break earlier or are we okay up to the news Okay. He says, we're, I, literally, I had a voice in my head that said, we're yeah, good up until the news. Did. I want okay. to tell you, By the way, Andrew, uh, something you missed last week, we haven't forgotten about your karaoke. So be prepared <laughs> a little later tonight. Andrew will be performing some karaoke. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk cars with our car buddy. Tom Appel, the yeah. uh, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. And a little later tonight... A name you know from uh, a little farther down the dial, Don Perlman, mm-hmm. award-winning Chicago journalist and broadcaster, will be joining us. We're going to talk about numismatists. <laughs> Numis- <laughs> Every time I say that word, I, I feel like I'm in a Looney Tunes movie. You want to do numismatist? <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, warn me next time and I'll put the shield up between us, okay? okay? I don't need a shower this early in the evening. Um, We're going to talk about coin collecting. Last week was Coin Week. And you're you're probably saying to yourself, oh, gosh, only old guys collect coins. Well, that's not the case at all. And we're going to also talk later tonight about what you all are collecting. We want to know because we're going to do a series of shows on that right here on WGN Radio. Rolling Stones, I got a brand new car. That can mean only one of a couple things. A, we like the Rolling Stones. Or mm-hmm. B, we are using it to introduce Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, who's joining us to talk about car stuff. Yes. I think we're going to say it's B. Hey, Tom, how are hey. you doing? <laughs> hey, I am happy to be associated with that song. <laughs> it's our car guy. Boy, you've got a lot of fans, Tom. Every time we mention you're going to be on the... Oh, love that car guy, Tom. So your well, family has access to, to co- your family has access to um, our, our our site. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just my parents. <laughs> right. Okay, we've got a lot to talk about, but first we need to find out what is Tom Appel driving these days. Oh, I am driving the Ford Maverick. That's Ford's nifty new very little pickup truck, um, in very high, uh, high very high trim level. Nice truck. Is that the picture that you put up on your page, on your Facebook page, where you've got the Jiffy peanut butter over in the little slot to the right? Yes. <laughs> the big question is, for people who don't know, the Maverick comes with a relatively tidy 8-inch view screen. And to the right of the view screen, in the assembly where it sits on the dashboard, is a slot that's about the size of, of maybe of where a man could put his wallet. It's about that mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. And and I'd asked the, our Ford rep, our local Ford rep, what that slot was for, and he said it was for snacks. <laughs> <laughs> and so in your now, case... Now, now wait a minute. Now, are, are you hearing that that was actually it, or was it a design thing that at the last minute somebody said, uh, tell them uh, it's for, for snacks? snacks? No, I'm sure it was a design thing that went too long, and they ended up going with a smaller screen, so they, did, <laughs> they made the most of it. And it's a useful cubby. There is stuff you could stick there, an iPad, your yeah. wallet, stuff like that. But a bologna it's, it's sandwich. A yeah. bologna, yes, a sandwich. <laughs> it's perfectly, guys. yes. What, what, are you, what are you thinking about the small pickup, though, at the, uh, what have you just had it for a couple of days now? 
I've had it for a couple of days. I'm driving a Valeriate, which is the top trim of um, in hybrid trim with front-wheel drive, and I like it very much. The car is telling me I'm getting about 38 miles to the gallon. Okay. The car is very good. And for something as small as this is supposed to be, four people fit in it very well. This is a, just a very nifty package. Nice. But, uh, but what's with these rumors I'm hearing that the Maverick may not be continued very long? I have not heard that rumor, and I, I don't know why they would discontinue it anytime soon. One of the things that happened with the Maverick, unfortunately, was that it was launched right at the beginning of the supply chain shortage, and, and it's not a car that you can make a lot of money on, right? It was meant to be a high-volume, relatively low-priced vehicle, and that's right. not what manufacturers, and that's not what Ford was doing when the supply chain problem took root. They were selling very expensive, bigger cars, so the supply of Mavericks has been very small, very low, and people have been scratching to try and get one, but I've not heard that they're going to discontinue it. In fact, it's looking increasingly like Stellantis, the old Fiat Chrysler, is going to be bringing out their own very small pickup. Hmm. Okay. I wonder what that says, though, because I think we we talked a bit last time you were on the show about what's popular now. You you know, you don't just go out and buy a sedan anymore, and yeah, you've got some choices when it comes to coupes, but typically it's, correct me if I'm wrong, sport utilities and pickup trucks, right? Yeah, that's where all the volume is now, yes. Although, isn't uh, Toyota kind of fighting or swimming against the uh, the tide with uh, the introduction of their crown? The crown, which I just spent some moments with. I, I just last week, I, I sat in my first crown and drove it a little bit. What an interesting vehicle. In the lineup, it replaces the old Avalon which was a large sedan, very oh, good large sedan. Yeah. But, but it's really a different vehicle. It rides a little bit higher. It's a little bit more crossover-like, but it still has a trunk. Uh, to, just to remind you, that is, it is, in fact, supposed to be a sedan replacement. But um, it, it's a very nice vehicle, and, and I think that they would like you to confuse it a little bit with a crossover. Mm. <laughs> I, think, no. I think they wanted to have broader appeal than your typical sedan. Is this still based on the crown that for years had been uh, sold over in Japan by Toyota? It is because there is a there is a similar vehicle sold in Japan off the same assembly line called the Crown. The Crown was was a premium vehicle for a lot of years for the Toyota brand. They stopped selling it in the U.S. way back in 1970. So this is a return of that name to these shores. Most shoppers won't remember the original. I actually do like the name. I don't remember the original, but I like the name Crown. Mm-hmm. It's a good name. Uh, yeah. But that was a, when the Crown was last sold here, that was when Toyota was really struggling to get a foothold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 1970 would have been right when they were trying to, to get their foot in the door. People were leery of Asian car makers. Um, and, and also, most of the Asian car makers had a problem with rust in the U.S. back then, mm-hmm. not having had to do with salt back in the homeland. The first Toyota I had any experience with, are you ready for this? This was in the 70s. It was the Starlet. Oh. Do you, do you remember that? I remember the Starlet well. Yeah, I drove one oh. at the service station I worked at. Um, slow as molasses, but nice shifter. <laughs> but manual windows. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I think it cost like $6,000, $8,000, like pocket change it, nowadays. It was their price leader then, wasn't it? It was crazy. Um, yeah, no air, a, no air conditioning, no air conditioning, no radio, 
I mean, it was just four wheels mm-hmm. in a box. Just you want to go from point A to <laughs> yes. point B slowly, it will get you there. Well, speaking of car radio, and you mentioned the um, the infotainment screen. Tom, we're going to take a break and come back and okay. talk about how important the infotainment center is to buyers these yep. days. And there's some news on that front, and a lot of people are not happy about it. So stay with us here on WGN. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN. Little buddy guy and Mustang Sally. We're talking cars with Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Uh, Tom, the blatant plug line, uh, plug light, just went off. And if people want to uh, follow you, uh, where should they go? What should they do? They should go to ConsumerGuide.com. There you can stream the car podcast if you like and if you just want to see the fun articles we do just go to our blog which you can get to from right there also if i'm plugging our website is all new officially may 9th that's the big launch day Ooh, good may 9th May 9th. and you are excited because you talked and teased us off the air about some of the things that you'd always wanted to do and that's going to happen on this new site so we're excited yeah we're going to make a much bigger deal of the blog um things are going to be easier to find and it's going to feature reviews more front and center so i'm very excited about it two really talented designers went at the site and i'm so happy with their work Awesome. Cool. Okay. Am I, and Tom, I'm going to exclude you from this because you are the car guy. I'm looking to Steve. I'm looking to you, Caleb. Am I the only one that is kind of lost on this business of an infotainment center in a vehicle being a make or break? Caleb, would you pass on a vehicle if it was not going to communicate with your phone? No. All right. Steve, would you pass on a vehicle if it would not? No. Okay. Apparently, the rest of the world has said they will not buy a car that will not communicate with their phone. Right, Tom? Yeah, but it's actually more its more picky than that. Because uh, the car will still communicate with their car, just not via Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. Mm-hmm. So the story that we're getting to is the fact that General Motors is looking to drop over time the use of Apple CarPlay and Android Auto in its vehicles, which is the connectivity software used for those two types of cell phones. And it works pretty well, and people who use those systems really like them. But the problem we're missing here is that every car comes with a native system, a built-in system that is not CarPlay or Android Auto, that generally works pretty well or often works very well. well but, but isn't isn't there also, uh, I've heard rumors that they're going to be using Google, and apparently there will be some it. financial remuneration from mm-hmm. General, Mu- General Muters <laughs> yeah, using Google. I'm a radio yeah, pronouncer. That's, that's where this is going, and, and this is an ugly future for all of us. But manufacturers are very keen to start monetizing different services and digital products in the car that they can bill you for monthly. So they sell you a car, they get their money, and that's over. They want to keep making money off of people. And and there's been a couple of really weird things where, where Toyota, for a moment, tried to charge extra monthly for heated seats, a thing that met yeah. with enormous customer outcry. Yeah, it was silly, but there there are more things like like navigation systems and other services like that that might make a little bit more sense. And isn't it uh, true that with the amount of electronics and the amount of uh, digital things that are now available in cars, manufacturers have more options to do this kind of thing, like, we're going to turn off your heated seats. 
if you don't pay us. You want a heated steering wheel? Well, that's going to cost you $3 a month. Yeah, and and we've seen this like from an early stage with with XM Satellite, for example, or right. with, uh, other. I'm forgetting the name of uh, General Motors Autonomous um, um, Concierge Service. Um, OnStar. OnStar, yes. OnStar, mm-hmm. Thank you. OnStar might have been one of the first, and then Satellite Stereo. And what we're seeing now too is the semi-autonomous systems that are offered by Ford, which is Blue Cruise, General Motors, which is Super Cruise, and Tesla. Uh, full self driving and things like that. Those require hardware and a monthly fee. Mm-hmm. Um, largely because those services require money to keep them operating. So that one makes a little bit more sense to me. But you can kind of ask what's the difference between that and the monthly fee that people paid for years for OnStar? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and uh, we'll see how much money this is going to cost people, but the, the native, gener- uh, native general motor system, I believe, isn't going to cost money in its base form. It, yeah, and buckle up, right? <laughs> because <laughs> yes. Now, yes. again, this will be a reality, we're told. Um, general Motors has said they're going to stop offering CarPlay and Android Auto beginning uh, on the 2024 Chevy Blazer EV, and that yep. comes out in summertime, right? Summer of this year, right, Tom? Yeah, very soon, yeah. It's the first of a wave of EVs coming from GM. Well, it is being called a blunder of new Coke magnitude. And some experts have said they should just that. they should just take the new Coke stand and say, "Oh, we made a dumb mistake. We're going to reverse this decision." But who yeah. knows? So, I don't see, know I'm in that the... consumers are quite as mad as the people who write about electronics. But we'll see. They yeah. could be very mad about this. Well, you well know and, and I'm probably in the real real minority. I'm not as upset about this as I am about cars not having AM radio yes. in their cars. Yes. I agree. You, you know what? I'm right there with you. you. There. Yeah, we're we're all in that same boat. Uh, but you know, I was reading about this whole business of General Motors coming up with this decision, and I guess Ford has been quick to say, "Oh, but come on over to our Mustang because you're going to be able to get yeah. your EV Mustang, and we're going to give you whatever you want—the Android or CarPlay, whatever it is that you want. We're not going to make you pay, et cetera, et cetera." Um, but then again. When you look at the electronics riders, they're kind of looking in their crystal ball, right, Tom? And they're saying, this is going to happen, and this is going to be monetized and buckled up. Our life is going to forever change. What you know now and take for granted is not going to be the case down the road. Exactly. And there is something a little darker and more sinister here, too, and that's the fact that, especially when we're talking about semi-autonomous driving systems, but anything you do in your car, especially when your phone is attached, there is data that is now being collected and processed. Yes. People aren't... Car makers aren't exactly spying on you, but they're sort of spying on you because they're yes. selling information about what you do. So, and and General Motors is having a hard time monetizing that information if it goes through Apple. So so really we're we're seeing a transition of a number of things. One is, yeah, the automakers are grabbing information on you, but also, oh boy, are we going a far distance from the days when you bought this car? You pay the car off, it's yours, it will run as long as you keep it in uh, mm-hmm. in good condition. Now, you buy the car, you take it home, <laughs> oh, you want it to run? Well, that's going <laughs> to cost you some money per month. Now, you actually want the steering wheel to work? Ah! 
sorry, we got a little fee for this. And God forbid you want your seats to heat up. Yep, right? and, and you want the wheels to turn. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a little additional thing here. Do you know, you there reminded... A, a Mercedes-Benz electric vehicle now that is available with extra horsepower on a monthly basis. No. No. Yeah, you can up the no. horsepower by about 20%, but it costs you something like 80 bucks a month. Oh, so my gosh. That is, that is an example of how this is going to work. And with electric vehicles, you can do things like gradiate the amount of electricity or power that's being developed oh much gosh. more easily over the air. Oh, my Lord. Uh. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing the quick math. You're talking about like an extra $1,000 a year for that extra yep. horsepower. Yeah. But, but then you could... But you know what you could do then when your kids drive the car, you could bring it back down to lower horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just cancel your subscription. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the week that you're but, driving but, the but car. But that's totally different from what you used to be able to, uh, in the Stone Age of uh, regular uh, engine cars, you could go to your auto parts store and you could buy a chip that would increase the horsepower in your car? No. Yes. Yeah. How chipping was a big deal when I was yeah. in the what? 80s and early oh, yeah. 90s. Chipping yes. was a big deal. You could buy, and you never knew how good the chip was, and they were never right. manufacturer uh, sanctioned. And, and often, if you brought your car in for service, the chip would be flashed and made useless. So uh, it was and, a rough ride. But I saw well, people who enjoyed using the chip. Let me just say, guys, because I'm sure women were not lined up to do this. That's all in your imagination. They were selling you a chip, and you were getting no more horsepower. Because you didn't have any way to find out if you were getting more well, horsepower. Well, tell that to Ronnie Rice, who, whose well, Mustang he, was what? It was like a 940 horse, horsepower Mustang he, he that he had. He put his on that machine that you guys were, that were chipping your cars. You didn't have no machine that you could check it out. How do you know? <laughs> I'm just laughing because that, that has to be a guy saying, I cannot see a woman going, oh, I'm going to go buy a chip to up the horsepower. I don't know. I don't think so. All right, Tom Appel is our car guy. We're talking cars. You've got questions. You can sneak them in here at 312-981-7200. And we'll come back with Tom right here on WGN. I have had a team of experts working, trying to figure out what the electronic widget is that any time you play that song, it <laughs> automatically causes your car to increase uh, by... Uh, Ten. ten. Just say ten. Yeah, you're gonna get in trouble least other- per yeah. hour. Yeah, you get in trouble otherwise. <sighs> I can sell you that widget along with that little doohickey that's going to increase the <laughs> the horsepower in your car. <laughs> <laughs> Steve King and Johnny Putman of WGN Radio. You can uh, text us or call at uh, 312-981-7200. We're talking with Tom Appel, the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. You should check out uh, ConsumerGuide.com. And, uh, again, the blatant plug light is flashing, Tom. Anything else? They can follow you on Twitter or how? Oh, I am Car Guy Tom on Twitter. That's car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I welcome <laughs> all new followers. On your website, you do a really fun thing where you take us into the Wayback Machine, and you do a, uh, a piece on tail fins, on yeah. the, the great tail fins on cars, and you, you unearth these pictures that are just crazy good. Steve, have you seen this piece that he wrote about tail fins? I'm trying to think if I saw that one. Because you're, you're the guy that likes tail fins and those stupid tires that used to be on the oh, back yeah. of the Lincolns. Oh. oh, some of those gorgeous Lincolns those with, the, with the Continental tire. kits. Yes. <laughs> and I loved it when... Was it the uh, uh, Tom? Help me, help me, Tom. 
uh-huh. in the what seventies or eighties? Was it the redesigned Seville, the Bustleback Seville oh, that, that the, had oh, one of those um, yes. Continental kits on it? The Continental what? kit. I don't know if that was factory or not, but it was a very popular thing for people to do aftermarket. I remember it well because the Bustleback was such a great platform for it. <laughs> it's right up there with those awful vinyl tops that were made yeah. that coating that in the hot sun especially in florida sun would start peeling and it looked like dead skin coming off speaking of awful. way back machine stuff tom i need to send you a link to something that popped up in my facebook feed this week and i i loved it it's a 1959 tv commercial with dinosaur and Pat Boone singing <laughs> as they introduce the brand new '59 Chevy, hmm. yeah. the Batwing yeah. Chevy. It is such a fun. Are they singing thing. "See the USA" in a Chevrolet? I forget what they're singing, but yeah. it's just a hoot to see the whole thing. Hmm. Pat Boone, Dinosaur, '59 Chevy Batwings. I'm there. <laughs> Somewhere on the website, I've got a similar thing for Groucho Marx introducing the '58 DeSotos. Oh my God! Uh, absolutely fantastic. It's a three-minute commercial. That they did live at the beginning of the show. It's incredible. Well, that used to be more the norm than not. I mean, I can remember yeah. watching on Channel Nine. Uh, Channel well, Channel Nine. That was a different thing with uh, Burt Wyman, Ford, and um, oh, would, wouldn't uh, they just go and and just riff? And sometimes it would go much longer than sixty seconds. But also on some of the uh, the Sunday night TV shows, was it uh, who was sponsored by Lincoln? Was that the Toast of the Town with Ed Sullivan? The early days, and they would oh, have I these these brand new unveiling. I remember one of the shows where they were unveiling the like the fifty six Lincoln or something like that, and the commercial went on for days. But how did you know that? Because your TV screen was like nine inches. Were you on your hands and knees with your because, nose pressed up against the screen? Because you couldn't see anything other than this long car. <laughs> That's great. All right, Tom, a couple questions for you at 981-7200, area code 312. A 630 area code wants to know if you could recommend a great used car for a college-aged daughter. And oh, while you... I just want to say, while you think of that, I want to take you guys way back to a dear friend of all of ours, Jim Mateo, Chicago Tribune writer. I remember 30 years ago when we had him on the show, and he was asked that question oftentimes, you know, what do I get Mm -hmm. for my kid? And remember back then he would say, you need to get one of those big old boats, one of those big, heavy cars that his, will protect his, your kid. Exactly. His point was you don't want to get a small car that is going to be run over by saying you want a big, heavy car because your he kid's says, a dumb new driver. Yeah. I uh, In high school, my grandparents had a Lincoln Town car. Oh. So I remember whipping it down the streets, you know, 23rd Street, just kind of floating along. Cool. Sure. Cool. But I felt safe. Yeah. It yeah. looked really dumb, but cool at the same time in a Lincoln um, but he used to say, too, the new cars, they crush real easily. And you don't want your kid to be crushed in that car. And I used to think, yeah, but when you're in those big old boats and then you get hit, you get whiplash because the car doesn't give. Remember? Yep. Because yep. that was that was like the norm. If you got rear-ended in one of the old cars, you were going to get whiplash. It's just a given. By the way, I'm... Yeah, no crush zone. I'm mm-hmm. pausing the conversation for this public service announcement that we may do every time we have Tom on. Wherever you are right now, if you're... Uh, are out driving. A, put down your phone. Yes. B, are your headlights on? on? Both of them. Yes. 
Okay, Tom, what do you recommend as a used car for a college-age daughter? Well, there's so many considerations, so I'm just going to go with the ones that appeal to me right now. I don't worry so much about size anymore because now we have side impact protection and four airbags, and there's a lot going on there. What I'm looking for is, is good visibility out of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and really good parkability, so short overhangs and a relatively compact size, and then something that's affordable. Right now, one of the most popular vehicles uh, of the last decade that is no longer popular, which means they should be relatively affordable use, is the Prius. And, and the Prius oh, yeah. is really affordable to own. Mm-hmm. It's very reliable. It's really roomy inside, despite that it's small. And it's nice on the highway if you're going to college or something. So I like the Prius. I like the very small Mazda CX-3 crossover, though that might be more expensive. And there's a Hyundai called the Hyundai Venue, if you guys are familiar with it, which Mm -hmm. is a very small crossover. We had a conversation with a neighbor who asked us for some advice on shopping for a used car. And it's come back to us two or three times to report that they've had no luck finding a, a good used car. Well, that- there was one they were going to buy, and when they went out to the dealer, the dealer jacked up the price by $1,000. Oh, that's my point. They cannot get anything that they can deal on. Whatever's on that sticker, they're told that's the price. Because you know what? We don't need you. You can walk. Somebody else is going to buy this car for the price that we want. And, you know, if they blue book it, they feel like it's an inflated price or it's just out of their budget. And there they are with a checkbook, ready to write a check for a car if you could come down like $1,000 or so. Mm-hmm. But, nope, they're turned away. And I I don't know. That just shocks me. I guess, is it because there's a limited amount of, of stock available to sell? or It really is yeah. a dealer's market right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's a seller's market, especially on the used car side. One of the problems is that because used cars have been in short supply, we haven't been fueling fleets, especially rental car fleets and business fleets and things like that. And those are the vehicles that usually become the nearly new used cars that dealers sell. Well, there's, there's almost no supply of those anymore. So used cars are getting older with higher mileage, but the prices are not going down. And the only thing that's going to make this better is an inc- is time. And hopefully that if new cars start to become more affordable, some used car shoppers are just going to go, heck, I'm buying a new car. Yeah. Uh, and, and, mm-hmm. get, and get the cheaper loan rate and get the new car smell and get the warranty. You remember when the whole campaign under Obama started where we were to junk our, our cars? You know, uh-huh. you get money if you junk it. And I the, liked a lot of things Obama did. That was one of the things I did not like. And I remember collectors calling on shows that we did, right, Tom? They would say, wait, wait, if we junk these cars, we won't have parts. Yep. We won't be able to keep our cars going and keep them alive, and we won't have collectibles like we do today. And and going along with that, I never understood why. Okay, junk the old cars. But if you've got an older car and you're driving it, it doesn't have to pass the emissions test. What? (laughs) Where is the logic in that? It's an older car. Don't you want to really make sure it's not polluting? Yeah. Let me ask Caleb in the studio here. Do you have to pass an emissions test in Florida? There's a lot of things we don't have to do in Florida, and emissions is one of those. Yeah. And if you're 99, you can still drive a car because you only get tested every, what, nine years? So if you got tested at 90, you could still be driving at 99. (laughs) That was in a promo for Dave Bennett's dad. God Mm. bless him. He's still driving at 99. And Dave said, hey, he lives in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and come back with our car guy, Tom Appel, here on WGN. So Talking Tom, cars with Tom Appel. During the news, uh, Tom sent me a blog that you wrote this six years ago, right, Tom? Yeah. 
the consumerguide.com uh, remembering cash clunkers <laughs> and as you said i only had a chance to read the, the first few paragraphs you said it was truly one of the strangest government programs ever back in the cash for clunkers mm-hmm. days uh Here's an interesting question from an 847 area co. Do you think that car repossessions increasing will help bring prices of cars down? And I didn't know that car repos were increasing because what people oh. can't pay the their their monthly or what? I had not heard that repossessions were on the rise. I know this usually takes months and months and months to unfold and and I believe delinquencies may be on the rise. But I haven't heard yet that, that repossessions hmm. have. But well, I don't think there's enough of those to seriously impact car prices. Speaking of money, is there any news on what uh, May interest rates for new or certified cars might be? Certifieds are interesting because they should usually have an interest rate. Certified pre-owned cars are those that um, a dealership or a manufacturer it's a manufacturer program where a dealership will will basically recondition a car and certify it and provide it with a manufacturer loan. And often you can get loans on those that are as good as new car loans. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, no indication yet what's happening with car loans. They seem to be coming down slowly. But like everything, inflation is sticky. So so it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be a while, I think, until car loans get better. Yeah. Are there any of the particular certified car programs that you think are better or worse than others? Um, I'm not that familiar with any of the programs, but I think they're all basically pretty good. And I do have a comparison on the website that was written by a colleague, Tim Healy, for us uh, that goes into that. But one of the things I like about certified programs is if you're buying something that might be a little bit dicey and, and luxury-oriented, like if for some reason you were buying a used Alfa Romeo, mm-hmm. by all means... <laughs> By all means, buy a certified pre-owned car with a warranty. Okay, a listener from a 708 area code wants to know, uh, what is your take on leased vehicles? Are people still leasing vehicles? No, this is a funny thing. What a great question. Leases are down dramatically since the chip shortage began. Part of the reason is is, is that loans, uh, car makers, I'm sorry, loans, loan companies are a little bit reluctant to put a high... A residual value on these because they don't know what's going to happen with car prices. So mm-hmm. manufacturers aren't really pushing those right now. And additionally, there's some concern that regular non-electric vehicles might depreciate in value as electric cars become more popular. Mm-hmm. So leasing is not super popular right now. That's interesting. Because uh, I, I, I'm just thinking, um, we were talking to somebody recently that Oh, they had leased a vehicle for three years, and what they owe on it, they could actually go out and buy a yeah. brand new car. Yeah. And, oh, this was on one of the car um, message boards, and people were saying, well, you fool, why would you buy this car when you can go get a brand new car yeah. that doesn't... And he says, yeah, but I know this car. And as we read... The, and he's really going back and yeah, forth. We said, you know what? They're still talking this guy out of it. He's going to pay this price, this crazy mm-hmm. price for a car that is already three years old. Interesting. Okay, uh, I'm going to change the subject on you, if I may. All right. And, and it's your show, so you may. <clears throat> this is something, a, a meme I came across on Facebook today. It doesn't matter how old you are. Buying snacks for a road trip should always look like an unsupervised 10-year-old given a $100 bill. Yeah. So what are, yeah. you, what are you going to buy for your road trip? Tom, 
You seem you you have some really interesting exotic taste. I mean, you try things like like Japanese Kit Kat bars and things. And um, so, what are you going to go for? Is your you've got to have it on your road trip? The, the only time I would buy these things where I would be if I was on a road trip. And Seven Eleven, and I think they sell them through Speedway too. Sells wasabi peanuts that are really really yes. Good. They are very like good. Two bags of those and a giant Diet Pepsi. <laughs> more and more, we are flying down here. But yes. back in the day when we were driving the thousand miles from Chicago to uh, Panama City Beach, and we would drive them mm-hmm. pretty much nonstop. We oh. would leave WGN Radio at about f- uh, five fifteen in the morning. We would pull into our driveway in Panama City Beach at seven thirty that night. That's but amazing. we were told. We were told not to say the on the radio because yeah. his truckers said, truckers we, said can't we can't do, do that. that. But so. one of the things that we did for a while, we kind of got away from it for, for, for a while. Remember, you found bacon rinds. There were these little... Uh, no, pork rinds. Or pork yeah. rinds, yeah. yes. Well, yeah. meat skins. Well, yeah. Meat skins, as we call them here, because they'll keep you awake. And they were you... so crunchy. I mean, <laughs> if nothing else, the noise of the... <laughs> it will keep you awake. Yes. <laughs> well, we actually landed here late, uh, two weeks ago, Tuesday, and we were looking for milk, and everything was closed, believe it or not. There's not a 24-hour Walmart mm-hmm. there used to be. We ended up at a gas station that had a Cumberland farm. Can I tell you? It's a great place. They actually had Borden's milk with Elsie the cow yep. on, the, on the outside of Borden's the jug. Borden's milk and eggs and bacon. Yes, and, very good. Yeah. But oh. they, also, they also had the ultimate road trip food, and that's the Big Papa. I don't think you guys like the Big Papa like I like the Big Papa. What's that's, the Big Papa? That's a pickle in a bag. A pickle in a pouch. Oh, it's the oh, best. Seen, I'm afraid of those. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> I can see why, Tom. Because all you do is you bite a little, little, just a little tiny, teeny little bite at the end, and you squeeze all the juice out. And then, now, Tom, you have to realize my mouth is watering that now. There have been moments, <laughs> there have been mornings when at uh, three in the morning, I wake up because okay. I hear this noise in the kitchen, and it's Johnny going to the refrigerator, opening it up, and drinking pickle juice. We're going to stop and get Big Papa's on the way home. <laughs> my, co- my cousin eats that as a meal, actually. Oh, I know. Really? It's good for you, too. And let me tell you, Hot Big Papa's are the <laughs> Hot Big Papa's sounds like a great group name. <laughs> But Maybe some Cajun blues. When we stopped for milk, I don't even. You were so tired. I don't even think you know what I did. I I bought <laughs> nothing would surprise me. <laughs> I bought a pack of Oh Snap Dilly Bites, where it's a pouch of already sliced. Were they bow Dilly Bites? <laughs> <laughs> it's sliced pickles. But see, if you're driving, that's not good because you got to hold the pouch with one hand. And you're going to stick your your fingers down in the pouch with the other hand. Not good driving uh, with your knees, trying to get, you well, know, the... Uh, I think this is where that Ford Mavericks uh, <laughs> snack slot really comes into play. There you go. Yeah. You hold, that's your big papa pouch. <laughs> I bet you there will be a run on big papas at gas stations and 7-Elevens as a result of this conversation. Because as I've said before, you can't talk about pickles and not have to have a pickle. Uh, right? I'm going to buy Big Papa stock Monday morning. <laughs> That's right. But uh, a listener says any kind of nuts is great on the road. But can I just say, don't do pistachios. Again, very difficult to, <laughs> to open up a pistachio yeah. nut while you're driving. 
And we, but what what is the thing we we just discovered a couple months ago? We've been taking it on the planes. Um, orchard the, the, hills, orchard mills. It, it's uh, kind of a combination of some nuts and fruits and things. It's so and darn really good. healthy. Yeah. But they actually taste good, in spite of the fact that <laughs> they're, they're healthy. healthy. <laughs> just just pour some M and M's in them. Well, now you're talking. Yes, that's the good granola with the M and M's in it. Yeah. Uh, we, in making that thousand-mile trip, the one reason we were able to make such good time is when we would stop for gas, we would get out, and the rule was one would pump the gas while the other ran to the restroom, yep. and then the other, when you come back from the restroom, you clean the windows while that one goes yep. to the restroom, and then you exercise. You do these crazy calisthenics. We because, had it down to a... Yes. So you're back in the car, like, our best time was like six minutes. Yeah. We're back in the car. Literally. We've done all those wow. things. because. Wow. I would have a cooler with a full meal. So I would spread it out on my lap, and Steve used to say, Honey, if we ever get in an accident. Yeah, now, first, you, you have to imagine the scene here. Okay, I'm, I'm in the driver's seat. Obviously, in front of me is the steering wheel. In front of me. In the passenger seat, Johnny has a tray. A, a, a tray. She has apples. And she has the knife where she is cutting the apples. And the cheese. And, and the cheese. Uh-huh. And, and the crackers. And the crackers. And, and the fried chicken. And my thought was, if God forbid we're ever in an accident and the airbag goes off, she is going to be covered with all this stuff with apples and like, chicken. You're going to have, like, a, a chicken wing you know, embedded in you and, because the airbag is going to blow it up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right, okay. I just keep cutting it, make this... And then what I like to do is I like to shove it over at Steve while he's driving. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the secret to our relationship. Do you see where we fly now? <laughs> yeah, that's why we fly. Tom, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm going to get me some wasabis on the way home, too. Again, if, right, uh, people, if people want to follow you, they can uh, do it how? Yeah, just go to consumerguide.com or just follow me on Twitter. I'm CarGuyTom on Twitter. I always love new followers. Well, we always love having you on the radio. Thank you for joining us, Tom. Thank you. Pleasure was mine. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. You coming too. up, thanks, guys. Coming up after the news, a guy that we have wanted to talk to for years. You know him from a, a couple slots down the dial. Don Perlman, award-winning Chicago journalist and broadcaster and numismatist. Did <laughs> I say did that? It. No, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. you did it. News next. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. There are moments that you remember. This is one of those moments that I will remember <laughs> because now Johnny and I have been in this business for a long time. But I have wanted to meet this guy and to talk to him for years and just mm -hmm. to, for whatever reason our paths never crossed. Uh, those of you who are longtime Chicagoans Know the name Don Perlman. He's an award-winning Chicago journalist, broadcaster, radio, television, and... Heard uh, on AM, right down the dial from us. Yep. Seen on Channel 2, CBS TV. Mm -hmm. Last heard on this radio station, we believe, with Wally Phillips. Back in 1986. He's also the author of a couple of books. Uh, he is a collector and specifically joins us tonight to talk about coin collecting because he is a hot shot in the world of new numismatics. He is Don Perlman. How are you tonight, Don? Hey, Don. Hey, I want to meet this guy, too. Where is he? <laughs> it is so nice to finally talk to you. I cannot believe in all these years our paths have never crossed. 
Yeah, um, I, I left uh, the wonderful world of broadcasting back in 96. And, you know, we all went to various different charity functions and all those things that I don't yeah. recall us ever crossing paths there. And, and Johnny, you, you told me that when I was on with Wally back mm-hmm. in 1986, you were back at the station. <laughs> Yes, I was yes. I was in the studio with him doing hit traffic at that time. Mm-hmm. And at that time you were joined you joined him to talk about your book on breaking into broadcasting, right? Yes, and I threatened to write the sequel, Breaking Out of Broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking yeah, of all the... That broadcast was at the, uh, the Walnut Room at Marshall Field downtown. Oh, my gosh. And when you yeah. left broadcasting uh, as, as, a, as a news guy... Uh, you went into marketing and moved to Vegas and went into a very successful career in marketing, correct? Yeah, actually, I had wanted to go into public relations or marketing or advertising from the very get-go. But I was working my way through school at radio and TV stations, and it got to the point where I did not want to take a huge cut in salary to start from scratch at a PR advertising firm. And... Uh, it got to the point where one day after 25 years, uh, generally very good years at CBS in Chicago, I said, if I don't start doing what I want to do, I'll never have a chance. Hmm. So with a very understanding wife, uh, I gave up a paycheck that came in every week for 25 years, <laughs> never bounced, and uh, started a new career. Back That was in uh, January of 96. I have to believe that your background, though, in news really helped you in marketing because you had been on the other side of receiving these press releases and people trying to sell things. And so now you were marketing and you knew what people needed to get, right? The best compliment I can ever get from a uh, editor, reporter, content producer is you made this easy. Ah. Because when I approach a project to promote something, I look at it as if I were the reporter covered who had a, was assigned mm-hmm. to cover it. Mm-hmm. And what are the elements I need? Uh, I have clients who want to start a news release with, we are happy to announce. I tell them, no, it would be bigger news if you were not happy to make the announcement. Yeah. professional. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> well, we're, we're working on our, our second book, and one of the chapters in the book is going to be dealing with public relations people and some of the people that actually worked against their clients there there were any of a number of times when we would wind up having somebody in the studio and we'd say you know we've been trying to get to you for a long time and your your pr people they they were just putting up walls and the person more often than not would say here's my phone number just call me but my point is from from doing this all these years not only did you know what to do you knew what not to do Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's funny, you mentioned about PR people working against their clients' best interests. Uh, I won't even name the government agency, but for years as a reporter, I occasionally would have to call this one agency in Washington. And the PR person would always say, why do you want to know that? Oh, yeah. And, and I thought, no, your job is to provide publicly available information. <laughs> yep. That's wild. Well, we said that we started off with the, the sound effects of money from the Pink Floyd song, Money. And we said you're yep. going to join us to talk a little bit about your history, but also to talk about your, your, the fact that you are a very influential person in the world of numismatics. And I just like saying that word on the radio because <laughs> if I can get by it's a, without it's flubbing a New it. New York Times quote. It's 
actually a good New York Times crossword puzzle word. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yes, yes. In it, fact, in fact, for for anybody who doesn't know, quite recently, Coin World selected you as one of the most influential people in numismatics. How cool is they that? Waited that? I post, they waited till I posted bail. No, stop. <laughs> you should know, too, that we had a very successful author on earlier tonight. He's written over 40 books, and he sat across from us, and he said, you know what? I've never used that word. I'm using it in my next book. He was kind of like, he was like, whoa, that's a new word on me, and i got to work at a coin collector in my next thriller. So, And, and how many people oh. confuse uh, numismatics with stamp collecting? Oh, well, well, my, my uh, stamp collectors are philatelists. That's not to be confused with the term that was applied to uh, uh, Bill Clinton at t- certain times. <laughs> right. But, uh, that's philately. And numismatics is based on a Latin word, numis, which was coin or money. Right. So uh, numismatics is the study or enjoyment of, of any forms of money. Coins, paper money, tokens, metals, uh, seashells, all those have been used as money in the past. And last week, the third week of April, was National Coin Week. So we said, we've got all kinds of reasons to talk to Don. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about who is collecting coins today, right here on WGN. When's the last time anybody heard that? And how about the fact that I woke up from my afternoon nap, and that was the song going through my head. And I thought, what? And then I realized that's because we're going to talk money. We're going to talk coins tonight with Don Perlman, who is our guest on the radio. Hello when, was the last, when did you hear that song last, Don? <laughs> Three coins and a uh, fountain. I'm trying to remember a station that had a beautiful music format. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And that was the Four Aces, and Frank Sinatra did the song for the in, movie. In the movie, yeah. Yeah, 1954. By the way, we should mention that this weekend, the uh, big central states numismatic society coin show is uh going on in schaumburg so it's going to be closing tomorrow i don't think right. the, the hours are as long tomorrow I, but it's still going on actually technically today for, today yes not for don but for us yeah. here because it's after midnight don can people bring uh, uh coins to that show and and have experts tell them what they've got yes there'll be a, a smaller show on sunday from ten thirty a.m till about three in the afternoon at the renaissance schaumburg hotel and convention center and uh if you have some old coins old paper money and you want to know what it is there are dealers there who will give you an informal uh, uh appraisal or evaluation mm-hmm. uh as to what you might have and surprisingly some people think things come out of the woodwork uh, my advice though is if you inherited a coin or a collection or there's some old coins around the house do not repeat do not clean them Harsh, abrasive cleaning will only ruin its potential collector value. Hmm. Uh, I remember years ago, I was at a downtown Chicago coin shop, and an elderly woman, a uh, widow, brought in her late husband's coins. She had taken a kitchen scrub brush <gasps> to every Ooh. one of them to make oh. them bright and shiny. And oh. one coin would have been worth about $1,000, but the dealer said it's only about $100 now because it's been ruined by wow. a scrub brush, by a, a Brillo pad. See if we so don't clean them. That's one thing we've learned from Antiques Roadshow because they're always saying, "Don't clean it up. Whatever it is, don't clean it up." Hey, and from you know, uh, let, and from guitar collectors, let the next uh, person clean up. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Guitar collectors say the same thing. Th- there's a whole book on uh, the importance of patina 
to different collectibles. Yes, yes. Well, Don, last week was uh, National Coin Week, and there was a theme for it, and the theme was Our Money, Our Heritage, Our America. And when I read that, I thought, that's something that, that's fascinating to me because I'm going to be very honest with you. It was a thought I never had that every time you're holding money in your hand, you're holding history in your hand. Mm-hmm. You just got to take the time to yep. think about who is that on that coin or why is that person or that image on that piece of money. And I, I find myself asking, uh, is coin collecting still popular? Is it growing? Uh, do we Particularly see- as we're going more and more to a cashless society and with things like Bitcoin, uh, what is that doing to coin collecting? Well, the coin market for rare, truly rare, high-grade collectibles in, in coins and paper money has broken many records. Uh, more than, I'm trying to remember, I, I, was, I think it was 18 or 19 coins sold for a million dollars or more last year. Uh, There were nickels that sold for $4 million, silver dollars that sold for over $10 million uh, for the high-grade items. Mm -hmm. The pocket change items that you can pull out of your your pocket change and plug into an album, they have collector value, but certainly perhaps not as much as these items that have been well-preserved and are truly rare, not available in the millions or thousands at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny, you mentioned about the history in your hand. Every coin, every piece of paper money ever made has a story to tell about the people, the places, events. You can learn a lot about science, geography, uh, by looking at the history of coins and when they were made. Mm-hmm. And- the ancient coins, uh, they were the newspapers of the day. They told you the name of who the current emperor was, and hmm. maybe what major battle they had just won. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And also what the coins are made up of, because I think we all remember when all of a sudden your coins had that piece of copper, that that slice of copper Mm -hmm. in the middle. And why was that? And so that would give us an idea of where we were as a country, right, Don? Uh, Absolutely. Um, It's it's frightening when you look at the history of how how the Romans debased their coinage of the fall of the Roman Empire. And we basically started doing the same in 1965 when we took silver out of most of the coins. Hmm. Uh, that's something. Someone might have a coin that they might not think is very valuable, but if it's a pre-1965 dime, quarter or half dollar, uh, right now with the silver at about $25, your old dimes have a $1.80 worth of silver. The quarters have uh, about $4.50 worth of silver. What? And the 1964 nearly or half dollars have $9 worth of silver. Hmm. Earlier tonight, we were talking about a story that happened right in in this area that we're broadcasting from, in the uh, panhandle of Florida. There was a, a coin shop in Panama City, Florida, that wound up selling a coin. I no, believe, they were part. They were half. They were half buyers. owners. Yeah, yeah. Of the this is the famous nickel story. You just mentioned, you know, coins that sold for a million dollars, but this was like the incredible. Lost nickel story. Can you tell us that story? Because it does have a local tie in. Larry Lee was yes. one of the two people that bought that nickel, right? Larry Lee and a fellow by the name of Jeff Garrett, who's a former president of the Professional Numismatist Guild, uh, jointly purchased that at an auction in, uh, I believe it was in Schomburg in mm-hmm. 2013 uh, for $3.1 million. And that same nickel was sold uh, privately by a company called Great Collections in Irvine, California. This past October for $4.2 million. Why wow. is it so valuable? Remember the old nickels that had a 
Native American on one side and a buffalo or bison on the other side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those were started in 1913. Previously, going back to the early 1880s, the design on Nichols showed the allegorical figure of Miss Liberty and a big Roman numeral V on the back for five. They were supposed to only make the new Nichols with the Indian and the buffalo starting in 1913. Someone at the Philadelphia Mint made five with the old design and the new date. So there are only five known 1913 Liberty Head Nichols. Hmm. And in uh, the late 1940s, a man named Charles Walton, who was a collector and antiques dealer in North Carolina, bought one for over $3,000. He took it to coin shows around the area and displayed it. He was killed in a car crash in 1962 on his way to a show. The nickel was recovered. The heirs sent all of his coins to a dealer in New York to be sold at auction. They sent back three. One of them was the nickel. They said it's not genuine. Oh. They didn't throw it away. They kept it for over 41 years, either in a closet in a Virginia house or in a bedroom nightstand. And in 2003, I had this harebrained PR scheme idea that offer a $1 million, minimum million dollar reward to find this lost nickel. And by golly, it showed up at the World Ceremony in Baltimore, Maryland, and a secret midnight meeting experts looked at it and said it's genuine. They had the advantage of comparing it to the other four specimens that were going to be on display at the show. And the couple was so happy, they loaned it to the association, the American Indian Association, for 10 years. It was on display around the country. And then in 2013, it was sold at auction, and Larry Lee and Jeff Garrett bought it for $3.1 million, just for a little nickel. That wow. was declared, incorrectly declared a fake. <laughs> That is such a great story. And I remember when Larry Lee actually had it at his store in Panama City, people yeah. could come and see it. I think it was only for about two weeks you could, you could come see in it. and you could see this. <laughs> I yeah. was like, whoa. Um, Don Perlman is our guest, a former newsman and numismatist. We're talking about coin collecting. We're going to take a couple quick uh, questions for Don right after we get an update on news from WGN. We're talking with Don Perlman award-winning Chicago journalist, uh, broadcaster. And, Don, the, the blatant plug light has just uh, started flashing. So if people want to contact you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I will give out my email address. For the, uh, it is uh, My first name is Don with two N's, D-O-N-N, period. And then the last name, Pearlman, like Pearl Harbor, but Pearlman, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N at gmail, G-M-A-I-L dot com. And they can also check out your website, uh, donperlman dot com. Right. Uh, I do not buy or sell coins, um, but I can make, uh, depending on what people have, I can make recommendations on reputable, knowledgeable dealers who are members of the Professional Numismatist Guild. And there are several in the Chicago area, as well as others nationwide. Well, for for someone who's new to this, what would you suggest as a good introduction to coin collecting? There is an old expression, buy the book before the coin. <laughs> uh, there are many fine books available uh, uh, online or at the coin shops and uh, bookstores, and learn about coins and the history of coins. And when you find something that you're really interested in, then buy an example of that coin. Mm-hmm. So you, you can... Maybe it will appreciate in value, but at least you'll have an appreciation of the item that you purchased as a uh, historic collectible. 
both Steve and I are, are the product of coin collectors. Uh, his dad left us a very big coin collection, which we were able then to give to my dad, who'd been collecting for about 60 years. So that just increased his coin collection. And let me just publicly say you were wonderful. When my dad passed away a little over a year ago, I wrote to you and I said, what do I do with all, the, all of this stuff? I mean, he literally had a drawer full of those blue trifold books that you have all your pennies in, you have all your dimes and your nickels, and it was just stacks of them, and you gave me some excellent advice. Um, Don, I've always heard, though, and my dad used to laugh and say, I'm a poor man, but I love the hobby of kings. Was it called, or is it called the hobby of kings because it takes money to get involved in the hobby, or is it more than that? Does it go back in history to, to royalty collecting? Well, uh, there were many people had uh, royals who could afford it, uh, had mm-hmm. vast coin collections, uh, the, the mint cabinets, that uh, from when they struck coins, they would have uh, coins with their likeness on it. And it's gotten the, the nickname, the Hobby of King. Um, but you can start collecting out-of-pocket change and, and have great enjoyment and fun out of it. Uh, the, the, when the United States Mint was making the different coins for the, each of the 50 states over a 10-year period, at mm-hmm. one point they estimated that about 140 million people were collecting the coins, some out-of-pocket change, some uh-huh. buying uh, mint state condition items from dealers. But about 140 million people were enjoying that over that 10-year span. I used to say that my dad would not let my mom quit banking because she would... She would get some good stuff. You know, she'd get her hands on some those two dollar bills that, that were uh, fresh and just printed, and and uh, silver dollars, and you know, it was available to everybody. But because she was a teller, she would call my dad and say, "Are you interested in this?" And go, "Yeah, buy me that right now." And Don, you you just used a word that that I think is key to this. Uh, it, and we've heard this advice from people, whether they're talking about uh, uh, collecting guitars, uh, coins, uh, cars, whatever. If you're going to collect, collect something you like. If it goes up in value, wonderful. If mm-hmm. it doesn't, you still have that thing you like. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, Johnny, you kind of alluded to this before. You get an old coin, you wonder, who held it? How mm-hmm. is it used? Uh, Buddy Ebsen, uh, the Jed Clampett fame, and, yeah. and, and Barnaby Jones, he was a coin collector. And when he eventually sold uh, his coin through a, a, an auction, he kept one old gold piece from the Old West. Hmm. And he said he often wondered who held that. Was that some prospector's grub stake? Did hmm. someone win it in a poker game in a saloon somewhere? And he always kept that gold coin because he wondered who held it what it went through over the decades. Mm-hmm. What, what are the demographics of coin collecting today? Is it primarily a, a male hobby? No, it, it has expanded dramatically. Um, and there are younger people. If you go on and look at, uh, for example, YouTube videos, there are quite a few young people who are posting videos about coin collecting. Mm-hmm. The uh, Professional Numismatist Guild gives uh, a scholarship every year to a uh, one-week summer summer seminar at the American Numismatic Association headquarters in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And this year they gave out two scholarships. And this year, and as in years past, there have been both uh, young men and and young women who have Mm. won the scholarship. And uh, and they're actually, yeah. Does coin collecting... uh, uh, Gender. (laughs) But it transcends gender. Does it transcend 
countries, uh, borders? Is coin collecting big in, in other countries? Uh, there's There are quite a few coin collectors in Asia, uh, some areas of Europe, especially in, in England, uh, France, Italy, Germany has a big uh, coin collecting uh, population. And uh, what's interesting is uh, years ago I attended a seminar in Australia, and I was surprised. This was 1981 or 82. There were people in Australia collecting ancient Roman and Greek coins. Huh, really? They're quite a distance from ancient (laughs) ancient Greece. Yeah. Well, do other countries have living people on their money? Uh, Many do. We actually did not have living people on, on our coins until, uh, and actually was deceased, but to depict a, an actual person on a coin, uh, 1909, the Lincoln cent was first minted, and mm. it was the 100th birthday of Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Prior to that, generally speaking on our coins, they had allegorical figures or designs. Some of the paper money did depict uh, deceased people. Mm-hmm. In a few cases, it was living people, and there was protest about that. It was during the Civil War. Uh, a Treasury person had his portrait put on a piece of paper money, and oh. it didn't go very well with other people. <laughs> okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw some what may be very dumb questions at you, but I've always wondered, who is that odd-looking man on the dime? You mean, uh, Roosevelt? Is that Roosevelt. That's Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You are kidding and me. Because because he had polio, and you've heard of the March of Dimes. Um, oh, of course. Died, oh, my gosh. His, his name on, they put him on the dimes, yeah. I never knew that. So now I can go yeah. home because I've learned something new today. <laughs> <laughs> That is why you'll have to forgive me for just a second. We've had some horrible weather rolling through here, and I just pulled my headphone back, and I feel like we are under some very serious, like, what do you agree? BTSD from the rain is really, you know. Yeah, thank you. I start shaking and going, oh, no, I'm going to crawl under the table in just a minute. I mean, it's really, really raining hard. Can you hear it, Steve? No, I've got my headphones. Okay, I'm going to put my headphones back on, too, so I don't have to hear it. Uh, Don, but before uh, before Franklin Delano Roosevelt was on the dime, was it the Mercury dime just before that? Or was there anything in between? Yeah, uh, that's kind of a misnomer. It actually is winged liberty. The the wings are coming out of the head to be freedom of thought, freedom of expression. And Mercury had the the wings on the uh, on the ankles. So, but yeah, that was the oh. uh, the Mercury dime from uh, 1916 to 1945. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come right back. Don Perlman is our guest. We're talking coins. We're talking money here on WGN. We're talking with Don Perlman award-winning Chicago journalist and broadcaster. We're talking about uh, coin collecting. And, and Don, let me ask you, uh, speaking of greenback dollars, does anybody give a damn about greenback dollars compared with coin collectors? Well, do you know why it's a greenback dollar? No. No. School when, me. When the federal government began printing paper money uh, in the 1860s, uh, photography was just really starting up. And the color green... A certain shades of green did not reproduce well with the black and white photography of the day. So to help combat counterfeiting, they oh. put some green ink on there. On there, and uh, the the trend has, has kind of continued. Although other countries use very colorful money, mm-hmm. and just only in the last couple of decades that we started adding more color to uh, United States paper money. A listener wants to know: Does the Susan B. Anthony 
dollar have any value today? I've, I have visions of them having a coffee can full of Susan B. Anthony dollars. And, and I will never forget the time yes. we were trying to go through the Chicago Skyway toll booth, and they would Wouldn't not accept a Susan B. Anthony dollar. They said they didn't accept foreign coins. That's exactly what she said. Many collectors refer to them as Susan B. Agony dollars. <laughs> <laughs> the original design, the United States Mint uh, chief engraver at the time, had this wonderful design when they wanted to start producing $1 denomination coins again. It was reflective of early American coins from the 1790s. Miss Liberty with flowing hair, it was beautiful. But we're talking 1970s. And Congress decided we need to put a woman on the coin, a real woman. Mm-hmm. And the design they used with Susan B. Anthony with the bun in her hair looked kind of like George Washington with his wig on. <laughs> and a lot of people confused because of the size. <laughs> if they had done what Europe did when they introduced uh, uh, new coins in Europe, they had them gold-colored. They weren't made of gold, but they were gold-colored and distinctly different from anything else in circulation. Yeah. So there are millions of Susan B. Anthony dollars out there, and unless it's a very rare variety uh, with a difference in how the date is spaced, they're worth a dollar apiece. Hmm. And given inflation, that dollar from 1978 is worth less today than it was in 1978. Hmm. <laughs> and oddly, this all comes back to me now. Whenever you bought anything at one of the vending machines at the Tribune Tower, yes. the change was always in Susan, <laughs> yeah, Susan B. B. Anthony, I forgot about and that. And so if You're you right. got something that was $3, <laughs> you'd get two of them would come back to you go, no, I don't want this. <laughs> Absolute true story. <laughs> Can I change the subject for just a moment? But it does tie in with money. Don, you live in Vegas, and you have a picture that you took the other night. It's from one of the casinos. You happen to be walking by when this guy hit the, was it the Wheel of Fortune? It was one of the, there are many different kinds of Wheel of Fortune games based on, on the TV show. Uh, it was a, 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 took quarters, and the maximum bet is five quarters at a time, so it's a dollar twenty-five, and he hit the grand jackpot. It was $717,000 and some change. And you and were I standing to be there. walking by, and he was sitting there rather calmly. He was a visitor. Oh I don't know where from, but he was telling people he was visiting Vegas and waiting for them to come over and give him what's known as the W2G, the tax form, (laughs) 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 to sign his name on. (laughs) First things first, right? uh, (laughs) I've seen people hit $10,000, $20,000, but the first time I've seen somebody hit $717,000. Wow. But remember, remember, the real motto is the money that comes to Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Don it's, has it's a great picture. <laughs> he has a great picture of that 717000 right there on the machine. And the guy's just kind of sitting there, you know, instead of screaming like I would be, you know, letting the whole world know. Um, so you're into public relations. You uh, talk about coin collecting. Do you collect? I don't collect as actively as I used to. Um, but I still... My goal is if I see something interesting and it's grossly underpriced, I buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. I found a site called Civic Science, and they list five things that you need to know about a coin collector. And you can chuckle or you can say no, no, or yes, yes. Number one, 
A coin collector is twice as likely as everyone else to invest in cryptocurrency. Twice as likely. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'd like to see the study on that. I, I, I really? don't believe that. No. I mean, Fif- collectors, collectors generally collect items that were made by um, governments or uh, backed by sovereign nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, cryptocurrency, I mean, who's behind Bitcoin? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. And people who bought it a year and a half ago at $64,000 now have a Bitcoin that's worth twenty-eight or $29,000. Wow. All right. 50% yeah. of the coin collectors are more likely to do volunteer work than non-coin collectors. Is that that's an- possible. Uh, there's that's- a lot of camaraderie among people yeah. in coin clubs and organizations. And you get a lot of volunteers. Uh, a, a lot of the uh, organ- major organizations do... Uh, uh, merit badge clinics for uh, scouts. Mm. Okay. Uh, so yeah. they can get their coin collecting merit badge. Yeah. Coin- uh, we, know, we, we know you didn't study for this test, and we're grading so, on a curve. Here we go. Um, okay. Coin collectors are twice as likely to leave a negative review online when they dislike something. <laughs> now, isn't that that's so specific? I have a feeling that the person who did this just had received a bad review, and so they're just going to heap all of their, their baggage into mm-hmm. this little survey. Uh, coin collectors yeah, I, I, again. I want to. I want to see the homework on, yes. on that. <laughs> coin collectors yeah. closely yeah. follow current events. They are news watchers, and I bet that's true. I most of the people I know in coin collecting are uh, uh, do keep up with current events. Yeah. Okay. Here's the final one. Coin collectors. Forty percent are NHL fans. Versus the non-coin collecting crowd, <laughs> hockey fans. Are you a hockey fan? Well, I I, I had season tickets for the Blackhawks for ten years. Oh my! <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> That's just the weirdest. It was, it was so long ago. It was at the Chicago Stadium. And you were more actively collecting back then too. You see, there is some validity yes. to this. <laughs> Yeah. Gosh. It's do, been, do you ever get back to uh, the Chicago area? Well, uh, Governor Pritzker gave me a 51-hour pass this past week for me to go to Schaumburg <laughs> to the uh, Central States Numismatic Society Convention, which if you're just tuning in, there you can still see on Sunday from yes. 10.30 to about 3 in the afternoon at the Renaissance Schaumburg Hotel and Convention Center. Uh, I've, I've gone back. Unfortunately, this trip was a quick in and out. And mm-hmm. so I couldn't go to a couple of my favorite places, like Superdog or uh-huh. the uh, Red Apple uh, Polish Buffet uh, right. on Milwaukee Avenue. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'll occasionally uh, get back. Uh, miss the friends, miss the family, miss the food. People who have the Daily Herald from Friday, they'll see your picture uh, uh, taken there at the convention. And as you said, the convention uh, will continue today. It's a shorty from 10 until 3. And you can uh, ask some questions of some of the vendors and some of the uh, experts there on site. And, and we had some people uh, texting wanting to know, are uh, any of your books still available? Uh, they are grossly out of date, but there are, are four books. One is Breaking the Broadcasting from 1986. Uh, then I, I did a couple of books on collecting baseball cards. The basics are still there, but this is long before Internet sales. Uh, one was collecting baseball cards. There are two or three editions. One was called Making Money with Baseball Cards, but the first page says, Don't Try It. And uh, the fourth <laughs> book was uh, on, on coin collecting. And uh, they, they're 
going back to the uh, late 80s, early 90s. So there are used copies available on Amazon. Uh-huh. But if you take anything from this conversation tonight and you're interested in collecting, you need to read the book first. Not necessarily Don's yes. book, but you yes. need to read the book on collecting, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and look for reputable dealers, professional numismatists guild. Uh, join the American Numismatic Association at money.org is their website. And, mm-hmm. and get an education, learn about the coins, and appreciate the history and the romance and the beauty. Well, And again, Don's website is donperlman.com. Don, if we can con you into it the next time you're in the Chicago area, we'd love to get you in studio. That would be a hoot. Uh, love to come down there. Um, I don't know if I'm get to, down to Panama City, but uh, Chicago is a definite <laughs> possibility. We'll do Chicago, and we'll treat you to Super Dog, too. Thank you, Don. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Take care. Thank what a What a nice guy. And, you know, like I said, I can go home now, except it's raining. <laughs> well, I learned that. stuff tonight. I learned stuff. <laughs> That was a kick talking to My him. dad would be so proud because oh, he, he collected yeah. forever. And yeah. he was just, he, he could literally get lost in just touching his his books of coins and just looking through them. And he, for hours he would do that. Coming up after the news, uh, we're going to uh, check in with Lisa McClowry. Yes. A lot more coming up. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. And that is the voice of Lisa McClowry, one of our favorite people, most talented Beautiful. Lisa, how are you tonight, Lisa McClowry? Hey, Lisa. Uh, shocks. I feel the same. You two are some of my favorite people. Well, you're and so... You played the jingle. I think yes! that was written for you. We wrote that for you in like 1997 or something. Yes. Crazy like that. Yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> it was oh, another lifetime. I just love you guys. Oh, you are so busy. I cannot believe we have a chance to pin you down to talk for a few minutes, but you're going to be doing I a local time to show. Talk to you too. Well, yes, so- the Genesee. We're going to be the Genesee next week. Can you believe this? May fifth, Genesee Theater. Family. Tickets available now. Yeah. Have you have you played the Genesee Theater before? Not with the Beat Goes On show, not with my show, but I've done this a uh, few times with Jim Peter and mm-hmm. uh, World Stage. I think it was World Stage or Life Force, one of the two. Right. But and yeah, let me back up for a second. For, for anybody who may not know what we're talking about, A, Lisa McClowry is extraordinarily talented. B, for the past several years, Lisa has been doing the Beat Goes On show where she does the the... I said earlier, Lisa, and I'll be real honest with you. I am not a real okay. fan of impersonators. Having said that, uh-huh. oh my God, do you nail Cher? <laughs> seeing Lisa McClowry oh. as Cher is like seeing, like seeing Cher. Cher. It yes. really, really oh. is. I, I've never well, understood you. how you nailed this, but boy, you did. You know, it's just a really fun singing acting job for me, and uh, I'm not. I, I love Cher, but. I approach her as a as a character like I would any other character that I've played in the theaters. And um, I, just, I love her in particular because she just has this wonderful mix of vulnerability and strength and empowerment. And you get to wear these crazy costumes, and she's yeah. funny. So and um, the, and I feel like I get to wear a lot of the hats. You get to wear these fabulous wigs, too, because she always has this great hair. And as you do share through the, the, the different incarnations, there you are curly, there you are straight, there you have bangs, now you don't, right? 
Right. And this and, right, exactly. And this show takes you through six decades of Cher's music. Wow. And there's eight costume changes. I get towards eight different costumes and it's it's all about uh, audience interaction. I have to share a story with you. Uh, last week, we had Jessica Radloff on with us. Jessica is uh, the author of the uh, this extraordinary book about the Big Bang Theory. She's also Glamour Magazine's entertainment entertainment correspondent. She was at the Carol Burnett taping for the Carol Burnett uh, special, and at that taping. She got to meet Cher. Now, what does she say when she goes up to Cher? She says, I have to tell you, I was so excited over meeting you, I almost believed myself. (laughs) (laughs) And Cher looked at her with a straight face and basically said, well, I'm glad you didn't, but it's really nice to meet you. (laughs) She said, I felt so stupid, but, you know, she said, I was so excited to meet Cher. It was unreal. And I bet you there are people that come up to you and they're giddy because you are so, you look so much like her. In fact, you've got a couple of pictures up on your, your Facebook page. Which one is the real Cher? And I'm looking going, you are so good. Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, it takes a couple hours, two hours to put on the makeup to become like Cher. Because as you know, I don't look anything like Cher. So sit in that chair for two hours and put my makeup on and, and become. And um, But I, I would imagine a lot of people would feel that way meeting Cher for the first time. You know, just yes. kind of, yeah. you know, giddy. <laughs> I know I would. And I've never met her. I know, You've I know never I met her. Like, you know. But, but it, it's one thing to, to emulate someone's singing ability. It's another thing to absolutely master the way they talk. How did you do that with Cher? Did you study her movies, study her TV shows, or how did you do that? Everything that I could find, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I watched a lot of her interviews, and that's where I got a lot of the, the ways to... You know, I had to create... First of all, let me back up. My show, when I, when I play Cher, is very off-the-cuff. It's um, interactive, so I had to really get into the subtext of what Cher is all about and What's her humor like, and what what are the phrases that she usually says? How does she pronounce her R's and her S's? And hmm. so it was just a constant study of interviews, and she definitely has her her isms, you know, not only in speech but in movement. So it was years and years of study. I've been playing chair since hmm. 2017. So I've okay, got a lot of, and I'm doing it all the time, you know, six nights a week sometimes. But, yeah. You know, once on end, like I was just in Vegas, I was just in Vegas for nine months, six nights a week. So wow. you get it down, you know, you get yeah. so many opportunities to practice. Okay, before we take a break, we just give us a little sample of what she would sound like. Just, we're, we're going to take a commercial break. So what would Shara sound like? Are you kidding me with this? Are you serious? You really want me to say something? Okay. We'll be right back with Lisa McClowry on WGN. Steve King and Johnny Puppin to WGN Radio. That is uh, the extraordinary Lisa McClowry, May 5th, Genesee Theater. The beat goes on, a shared tribute. Uh, it will be a track show with Mike Aquino on guitar. And Lisa, you want to explain for the kids a uh, uh, track show is because... Oh, the difference between a tra- track show and a full band show? Is that what yes. you're asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So uh, we're doing a track show at the Genesee. Um, the only reason we're doing that is because actually there was another act that was supposed to be there. And since we're local, 
we had the night off, we said, okay, we can jump in and do the show. Oh, but nice. usually, you know, I think the dentistry usually needs about six months of marketing, but since we're, yeah. you know, jumping in to the game late, we're just going to do the track show for now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, hopefully we'll come back next year with the full band. But, my- but it's very, very similar. It's just, you know, scales down. Right, right. And Mike, Mike, Mike Aquino is a real talent, too. It's, he's so exciting to watch him perform, and I'm, I'm happy that you get to bring him with you. Yes, and we still get to do, you know, the eight costume changes, and the show is still very interactive, and there's still video elements that you'll see. Um, but when we do our full band, which is most of the time, in fact, we just came through Florida and mm-hmm. played nine, nine cities in Florida with the whole band. Oh, wow. And so, you um, spent some time in Australia, too, didn't you? Yes, we, we played in, uh, for the month of January, we played in Melbourne, Australia, at the Crown Plaza. Hmm. We did that for six nights a week. When I say we, that was with Legends in Concert, you may remember them. They're mm-hmm. right. a tribute show that's based out of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do some work with them still. There was a commercial that ran during this last break, and it was for the Cornerstone of Rock, hosted by Jim Peterick and the Ides of March. And you were just in the yes. studio with Jim Peterick, right? I was yesterday morning, um, along with um, Dave Mikulskis, who's, who's with High Infidelity. They're, that's a band here in Chicago. And mm-hmm. it truly is an honor to be, you know, back in the studio with Jim and to be singing with Dave. Um, I just think so highly of both of them. So I know they're working on a new album, and just a thrill to be a part of it. Well, I have to ask you, the, along with uh, performing his share in the Beat Goes On tribute, uh, any new Lisa McClowry music uh, on the horizon? You never know. I mean, I never say never, right? But Sarah's keeping me so busy and, um, you know, working on other people's album projects. Plus, I, I do school gigs when I'm in town um, as part of the Ravinia program. So we go into underprivileged schools or schools without real music programs. Mm-hmm. And we go in there and teach kids about Gershwin. We perform live in the classroom or the gymnasium. And, uh, again, teach them about the songbook and the blues and kids' ages, you know, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, mm-hmm. very young are being introduced to jazz and the American songbook. So it's very exciting to, to see their faces when they're performing live music in their mm-hmm. room and, and, you know, we're seeing the sparks in their eyes and hopefully we'll get some musicians um, from this. Well, thank you for doing that, because I'm looking here at pictures that you um, have posted on your Facebook page. You said the band got back together uh, just the other day, the Ravinia Band, and uh, you said it was really fun to see. You were actually performing blues for the class uh, that day, right? We sure were. Mm -hmm. And I think it's exciting that the kids get to see this up close and personal, hear music and see a stand-up bass and see jumps up close and... (laughs) <laughs> very exciting for us to see them be excited and again to be able to introduce them to our great American songbook and Gershwin yeah. and um, they're singing along so they're, they're getting familiarized with, with our great music is, is it a different approach when you when you go to a school like that and your your audience of kids have grown up on Digital music, uh, they haven't Streaming. seen it. They haven't seen a stand-up bass. They haven't really uh, had the opportunity to see and experience a live mm-hmm. acoustic show. What is their reaction? 
is it's over the top. It truly is magical to see their uh, the eyes light up and they're sitting on the edge of their seats. These kids are excited, um, and we and they can be engaged. I mean, I make sure when I when I'm there that um, I make it something that they can be a part of, and I want them to sing along, and I encourage that, mm-hmm. and I encourage to make it a full body experience where they're. You know, tapping their feet and hands are in the air. I just, uh, we want everyone to feel included and feel the music in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- they don't have the luxury of turning on television like we did and watching a variety show where you would see a share yeah. every week coming out and singing and wearing these fabulous Bob Mackey outfits. Or you would see, you know, fill in the blanks. And it, the, the Smothers Brothers, whatever the variety mm-hmm. show was, uh, mm-hmm. that's where we got exposed to music that was different than what we were hearing on the radio or what we were, per, you know, buying for our own collection. So thank you for doing what you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, we sure lived in a great time, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I, th- I think... I think you're too young to have grown up watching Shara on her variety show, aren't you? Well, I might have been syndicated by that time, but um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So I watched Turbonet though, and we watched yeah, uh, and Cher and Cher show, and yeah, Captain and, and uh, um, what Captain and Tennille. I'm dating myself now. Yeah, that's it, Captain and Tennille. That's the one I was trying to think yeah. of. Yeah. I've I've just been uh, reading Tony Tennille's autobiography. Have you read that? I haven't, but I bet that's an interesting book. Pick it up. It's a really, really interesting book. Uh, She she has an incredible story to tell, and life was not Not always a a bed of roses. Yeah. Mm. uh, As a matter of fact, she just recently, um, what what was the thing we saw she did recently? It was MAME or something like that that she did. Oh, on Broadway. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet she's fabulous on Broadway. Well, you would be yeah, too, but you're you're too busy doing your thing, and we're so happy that you keep doing it, and that the Chicago area is still your home base, and folks can come out and see you on Friday night at the Genesee Theater in Waukegan, and you can, um, in fact, on Lisa's page, on our page, you can click and you can find out ticket information, and then I hope you're going to pop up at some point uh, over the summertime in the Chicago area again. We will we'll be at um, Arcata and the Spring Theater later in the summer. Oh, oh great. Right. So we are, well, we are coming back. As a matter of fact, we get back in Chicago uh, on uh, the 16th of, of May. May. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll be doing our shows from uh, downtown Chicago for the next couple months. And if we can work it out and you could fall by and hang out with us, we'd love to do that and do something in person. Uh, I'd love it. It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So late tonight, um, get your rest. Uh, Friday's going to be a big show, and I know it's going to be a huge show. I just wish we were back home so we could. I've, yeah. I've never been to the Genesee Theater. I only hear good things about it. And I'm really excited about you coming to the Displains Theater because, uh, thank goodness, that little theater was saved, and it is really becoming a hot place to perform. Thanks to Ron Onesky. Yep, that's yeah. right. Yep. Well, thank you, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Have a good one. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you, Steve and Johnny. Appreciate Bye-bye it. Now. Have a good one. See you soon. And when we come back uh, after the news, we're going to let you hear a little bit of another side of Lisa. Mm-hmm. 
uh, did an extraordinary song that uh, she did with Jim Peterick uh, called Come Dancing. We're going to come out of the news with that. But right now we break for the news at WGN. Steve King and Johnny Putnam at WGN Radio. That is Lisa McClowry and a song that uh, we first heard when Jim Peterick from the Ides of March, mm-hmm. and yes, the same Jim Peterick from Survivor who wrote Eye of the Tiger, Jim played that on our show years ago. Right. He was in the studio. He played it live. We got back to our office, and we had a voicemail from Lisa. We'd never met Lisa. Or no, we, no, we, we had. Yeah, we had met her. Mm-hmm. That's right. But she hadn't met Jim, Jim. Peterick. Mm-hmm. And she said, I love that song. Mm-hmm. And so we helped introduce Lisa and Jim. They got together, recorded that. It is a beautiful, beautiful yeah. video. Jim wrote that after seeing the movie American President. Mm-hmm. A great dancing scene mm-hmm. with um, Michael Douglas and... Oh, Warren Michael Beatty's Douglas. wife. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I can see them dancing. Yeah. Um, and he actually said he 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 watched that movie, and the next morning he got up and he walked right over to his big beautiful grand piano, and he just started mm-hmm. writing what he was feeling after that particular scene, and that song is a classic. But her video is amazing. Again, go to uh, LisaMcClowry.com. Go to her her YouTube page. Just an extraordinary talent. And she's been spending the past several years during the the Beat Goes On share tribute. And she does an extraordinary job at that. But there isn't anything she can't do. I know. She is such a Makes her costumes, does her makeup, all Mm -hmm. of that amazing stuff. We we never had a chance at the beginning of the show to do our usual round robin with everybody. Because we have a great track record now. This is two shows in a row that yeah. we start off with a bang. <laughs> Tonight was a, silent, a, a yes. silent bang and then a stumble, yes. and we were there. <laughs> so uh, one of the people we didn't get to talk to, uh, who is now the keeper of the big plug, uh, Dan Long. Uh, Dan, um, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing. He'd, I'm here. He had to put down his bologna sandwich quickly. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, I, Steve. I was scrambling for a pair of headphones so I could turn oh. the mic on. Okay. Well, it's nice to work with you as always. As always. Is it raining out your window? Because we've had. And, some... and what's this word about possible snow, snow? and grackle? Yeah, grapple. Right. It's like freezing grapple? rain. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it looks Here's like the... low, like mid forties, high and. High uh, lows in the 30s. I guess there's potential for freezing rain. Spring in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. As I said earlier, this is, in fact, um, if we went through full spring, that we had second winter, then spring of deception. We left town on the heels of spring of deception. Now we're into the third winter. That's what it is. And really, Uh isn't the third winter always the best one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the one they write songs about. It's so good. (laughs) And also, on the other side of that glass is uh, Andrew, who is working hard Monday through Friday doing the afternoon show. Andrew, how are you holding up tonight? Uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten more and more awake as the night's been going on. Well, good. That's great. See, Andrew is basically a night person, so he was perfectly fit for our show. Right, Andrew? Yeah. 
And then you got this gig. We in- keep telling him this, even yeah. though he's now working with Lisa Dent in the afternoon. You're perfect for the night show. This is, this is your this is your area. This is where you shine. You never want to leave. But you took this gig Monday through Friday doing the afternoons, which actually start in the morning. People don't realize that, right, Andrew? Yeah, I've a. Uh... Yeah, I'm usually here before the afternoon. Yeah, I'm already in the studio before the afternoon, and even before that, we have the our call for uh, to just you know go through what's uh, going on in the news. Yeah, and that could be as early as nine o'clock, ten oh, yeah. o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to every time we've done Lisa's show, we've had to seriously adjust <laughs> our schedule for the nine thirty conference call, going yes. over what we're doing that afternoon. And I'm like, has news even happened by this time? This is so unnatural for me. But you're doing a great job because we get to we get to tune in, and uh, your job is to kind of keep the ship afloat and you do that too are you having a good time on the afternoon show yeah it's actually really uh it's a very worthwhile experience i'm glad i'm doing it good good and she lets you sing and we're going to let this day get by once again we're not going to be prepared have we got time for a quick uh, andrew karaoke and you know that this is actually karaoke day it is andrew you have to sing something give us 30 seconds of something all right give me give me a quick second Okay, he's going to bring something. Okay. I forgot this is karaoke day. They're having karaoke parties all over. Uh, Caleb? Uh, slide your microphone oh. over for me. Oh, I turned my microphone. I got excited. <laughs> I turned my microphone around. Sorry. <laughs> That's what that was. Sorry about that. Okay. No, actually, <laughs> I almost See, fell Andrew's out of... hoping we're going to keep talking so you won't have to do the karaoke. I almost karaoke. fell out of my I, I chair. Guess, I guess I'm ready whenever. Okay, okay go. All right. Oh, dang. Let's see, let's see. I'm so in love with you. Whatever you want to do is all right with me. So brand new And I want to spend my life with you Since, baby Since we've been together I'm loving you forever I just can't see Let me be the one you come running to I'll never be untrue Baby, Let's stay together Loving you whether Whether Times are good or bad Or happy or sad May I just say Damn! Damn. (laughs) Andrew, all right! You hit the high notes? Dang! I see why you got that afternoon upgrade, man. <laughs> and guess what? I lied. It's not really her- karaoke day. I feel That's, deceived. 
It's like May 25th. But oh, oh, so I have to do this again, May 25th? Tw- right. yes. <laughs> that was a good choice of songs, that too. That was great, Andrew. Can, can I... Can I just say, your papa raised you right, because I know yeah. he's the influence, right? Yeah, uh, I just remember, I still remember uh, when I, anytime I drove around with my uh, dad in his car, uh-huh. you know, we would ne- he, he would never play any of the top forty stations. I just remember it was uh, what was it uh, AM fourteen hundred Solid Gold Soul. I just remember that as a a vivid memory. Wow! And what was Dad driving? Do you remember that? Uh. <sighs> At one point, an Impala, and the next point, a Honda Odyssey. No, no, wait, not an Odyssey. Odyssey, uh, a Dodge Caravan, pardon me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I can just see you jamming to (laughs) little Al Green in a Dodge Caravan. Honestly, as a kid, I was so annoyed by it because, again, I didn't really get to choose it. Uh But then, I think by middle school... Into high school, I I knew this was just to be part of my part of my uh, part of who I am. Yeah, yeah, and we've said so often because Andrew will be walking down the hall and he's singing a song to himself. Oh yeah, say that's an old soul in that yeah. guy. There's an old soul in there because you like music. I'm like, that's my music, <laughs> and Andrew likes it. Well, Very thank cool. you, thank you for that. We're going to take a break, and guess what? Oh, uh, we need to get a call. Uh, Our last call. Nine eight one seventy two hundred. If you want to be our last call, because yes. they're yeah they're starting to flick the uh, the lights. Yes. So if you want to be our last caller, and you will uh, qualify as long as you haven't won anything in the past two months. Yep. From WGN Radio. And the last caller means we just chit chat for a couple of minutes and just wrap it up while they get the big sweepers out to clean the joint, and then the lights will yep. be turned off at two o'clock, and we're out of here till next week. So. You can give us a call right now at 312-981-7200. We'll take a break and be back with the last call at WGN. I'll just drive this floor sweeper home. How's that? Okay. (laughs) By the way, we should mention, uh, next week we are still in uh, Panama City Beach. We'll we'll be back in Chicago for the, I think we get back the 16th of May. and The 20th we'll be back in-house. But next week, uh, country music legend... Bill Anderson Anderson. will be joining us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Local comedian uh, Jason Hedden will -hmm. be joining us in studio, as will a group that we think is just terrific. Local performers Jack and Jen are going to be performing live in our studio next week. So uh, that's just part of what we have planned. But now we go to the last call. And I chose number three, because what we do is we, we take a bank of phone calls, and to make it fair... We are told how many calls are on the line, and then last week you got to choose the number, this week mm-hmm. I choose the number three, and I am told that number three would be Jim. Jim. Hey, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm just fine. Good. Where are you calling from, Jim? Oh, Chicago. Did we catch you off guard there for a minute? In the middle no, of a midnight no. snack. Want to drink a Seven Up? That's all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are you Are you having a midnight snack while you're listening to the radio? Absolutely. This is my normal daytime anyway. So. Well, good. That's why you sound so wide awake, so chipper. Right. Yep. That's me, chipper. Yeah. What do you, What do you do? Uh, that... And why are you up at this hour of the morning? Uh, I worked overnight for thirty five years, and um, I'm retired now. But. Um, we're up usually till four, five, six in the morning. Yeah. What did you do uh, overnights? Uh, I drove for a courier service and did um, 
uh, worked for uh, the Ford Motor Company down in Southside. as an independent contractor hauling the freight. Oh, okay. Oh, so so you were the one that uh, made sure that the new cars got to the dealerships. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> you I, never I bet you how, how much money it cost them to shut down a line when they're short apart. Oh, I bet. Oh, I yeah. bet that was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'd be on the phone with us every three minutes. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Did you ever have any scary experiences when you're, you've got a load of cars and it's snowing and it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you got some goofus on the road in front of you? Well, I didn't actually haul the cars. We hauled the parts for the cars to get them made. Okay. 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 But, um, oh, yeah. We had um, people don't understand. I think I, I firmly believe that. When you get your regular driver's license, you got to take a short chapter in learning how trucks operate, so you can have some awareness of what's going on. Yeah, but yep. you can't do what you can do in a car. Yep. Yeah. Just tonight, we were driving in, and we have to go over this very long bridge that connects Panama City Beach to Panama City. It's a Hathaway Bridge. And just ahead of us, Steve said, "Do you think that that truck is towing that car?" Because there was a car that was so close behind the truck that I knew, regardless of how big his outside mirrors were, that truck driver had no clue that the car was right behind him. Just and if the trucker had stopped, that car would have gone right under. Yeah. Just, it was really scary. So we actually got around him, and that's when we realized that, no, the guy was just tailgating the trucker. He was not being towed by yeah. him. That's scary stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's that's a very scary situation. I've been that many times myself. Yeah. We were actually down in Panama City Beach several times. We talked to you once and got referred, and my brain is gone. I've been sick for a while, and I've lost some of my memory uh, capabilities. But we got a reference from you. I'm trying to think of the place we went to that you referred us to. Uh, did you um, go to Boondocks? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yes. Boondocks Restaurant. It is a wonderful restaurant. Uh, It's in the West Bay. uh, And uh, our friend Hillary Head is the owner. Yes. In fact, they're celebrating, I believe it's their 25th year. Yes. Um, In fact, Jim, whenever you were in the restaurant or any of our listeners stopped by, Hillary would always get to us and tell us, oh, my gosh, another Chicagoan just stopped by today. So I'm yeah, glad did. you did that. She mentioned that to me and or yeah. to me and my brother, myself and my better half. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we missed you guys by like two or three days. I think you the did. Last time we were there. Yes, yes, I remember that. Well, I tell you what, I I'm so pleased that you got in tonight as our last caller because we're going to send you a WGN Radio Retro Logo T-shirt. And these are really cool. And you're also going to get your very own desktop weather station from American Weather Makers Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing. The 60 Minute Men visit AmericanWeathermakers.com. They've become highly collectible. You were probably remember the days when Wally Phillips used to give out the Seymour Paisen scarf and he gave out the ladybug pendant watch and they became so collectible Uh, that see the weather makers weather station has become just as collectible and you're going to get your very own that's really great and I really appreciate it well thank you for listening to through the years and uh, hold on for a couple seconds and Andrew will uh, get all of your private information off the air (laughs) and thank you so much Jim uh, once again, this has gone by really, really fast, yeah. and, and we still have a whole bunch of things we never got to. I know. Uh, but be thinking uh, over the next week, what do you collect? 
yeah. what kind of collectible things would you like? Because we're going to start doing some collectible shows again. We used to do shows uh, from uh, collectible guitars, Beanie Babies, uh, teapots, any of a number of things. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing a, I know we're going to do a show on sports collectibles because there's a local guy that's going to join us in a couple of weeks. Yes. And he deals in sports. Aaron Burden. Co- yeah, sports mm-hmm. collectibles, as well as being a fabulous musician himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so next week we'll take a segment and we'll just ask you to tell us what it is you collect and give us an idea. And um, I think we're going to do a segment before the end of May on um, what's hot in the antiques world. Because sure. It's. A lot of people are thrifting, and they're going to thrift shops, and and antique stores are still surviving. And there's mm-hmm. one in particular that's like the oldest one in the country, and yeah. we're going to talk to the owner of that one. So, You can follow us if you're on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash Steve and Johnny Show, and uh, spell it all out, Facebook.com slash Steve and Johnny Show. And our blog is steveandjohnny.wordpress.com, and my apologies, we have been... Uh, so busy with a number of things down here uh, that you can see on our Facebook page, yes, as a matter of fact, yeah. uh, that we're behind in some blog posts. We're going to take care of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, our thanks to everybody for uh, helping this happen. Our thanks to uh, Brett Jackson and Dan Long and Ron Brown and Gabe Salgado, uh, Andrew Harris and uh, Caleb Jordan and Tom Hoots. And we have been coming to you tonight from the studios of WKGC-FM, high atop the Charles Hilton Center for Advanced Technology and Hospitality Management at Gulf Coast State College in Panama City, Florida. That's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> in fact, you'll see the building. We posted it on our Facebook page. You'll see that yes. that's what's on the outside of the building, but it's a lovely picture that you took. Oh, and, and some other people uh, haven't checked out our Facebook page yet, and they were asking us about the, the Tommy Emanuel video of Tommy yeah. Doing uh, somewhere over the rainbow. Right. We posted that on our Facebook page, and it was a video when Tommy was in the studio with us, and he did this extraordinary version of somewhere over the rainbow. And that was what Johnny was talking about earlier, that Paul Harvey called up and he right. wanted to get a copy of that. And just taking a quick glimpse at that made me miss our old studios in the Tribune Tower yeah. on ground floor. We're now on the lovely 18th floor looking out over the mm-hmm. city, which is quite beautiful. But We're going to wrap up here in Panama City, Florida, and hit the road, and you guys stay dry, and I hope you don't have to shovel anything tomorrow, (laughs) right? Watch out for snow and grapple. Yes, and be with us next week. that's not scrapple. Now you're going to be hungry, right? Well, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, News is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom.